Hey, podcast listeners. This is a discussion between myself, TK Coleman, Steve Patterson, and Derek McGill, all of whom have been previous guests, TK, several times on this podcast. This is a discussion about Bitcoin. And we started flipping on the camera because we were always talking about this stuff privately, flipping on the camera and every couple of weeks doing these discussions just on Zoom and posting them up to YouTube for fun. And uh, they actually got a lot of traction, got a lot of views, a lot of interest. Several people asked me to put it in podcast format. Rather than spin up a new podcast, I decided to just post them right here on the feed for the uh, recently dormant Isaac Morehouse podcast. So what follows is a completely unedited, unfiltered discussion. You can also find it on YouTube if you want to see our wonderful faces between me, Steve Patterson, Derek McGill, TK Coleman on Bitcoin and Bitcoin related stuff. If you're not at all interested or familiar with crypto, there's some stuff that might be a little technical or a little inside baseball that might go over your head. But if I do say so, it's a pretty fun discussion anyway, and you might learn some things. Thanks. All right, we're recording. We're jumping right in. The first thing before we get into all this stuff is Steve and Derek and I, we have had a busy time since our last video came out, constantly chatting with each other about all the crazy happenings in the world of Bitcoin. And TK has just disappeared off the map. I don't know if he was just like taking a nap, waiting for Genesis to get implemented. But TK, where have <laughs> well, you been? <laughs> it's Genesis. Are you, out of, are you out of crypto now? I mean, this no, is man. an intervention. <laughs> Since Genesis, game is over, man. B- battle's already won. You know? Scaling work- wars have been won. <laughs> yeah. The work has already been done now. <laughs> it's over. You're, you're done talking. It's all about proof of work now. <laughs> yeah. So we have, a, we have a ton of stuff that I'm excited to talk about. But I was thinking when I was getting ready for this, um, how cool is it just to take a, to a second to be like positive and optimistic? Because there's a lot of stuff that's pissing me off in, in all versions of Bitcoin that's easy to get a little bit pessimistic. But when you step back, here we are, and not just us, a lot of people all over various parts of the internet and real life, we're having all these debates and discussions about three different visions of limited government, free market, non-Federal Reserve, global money. Different competing visions of some kind of dramatic shift towards liberty and freedom that all have various pros and cons and some of them not as liberty friendly, whatever. (laughs) But, but by any, by any stretch of the imagination, if you had told me 10, 15 years ago that there's this big debate about which version of non-government currency is going to win, I'd be like, Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> okay. This is a good conversation to have. So, like, that's a pretty cool thing. I mean, all things considered, and I was trying to think of analogies within. I spent a lot of time in like libertarian nonprofit world and stuff before I got into to, to running a company. And I was trying to think of analogies for each of the camps in Bitcoin for the different camps of like free market types, like the BSVers or like the constitutionalists. Like, if we just get things to the constitution, you know, rule of law, sort of limited government conservatives, and the BCHers are like more, you know, maybe agorists and anarcho-capitalists and free speech people. And uh, the the BTC people were hard for me to come up with a good analogy for. It's a strange little like camp over there. If, if you're trying to represent 
the part of liberty, because they have a lot in common with BSVers, honestly, like a big, like sort of Trump supporting strong man, like, you know, like we need big, I don't know what, it's weird. There's something there that I couldn't, couldn't put my finger on. But all that to say, that's a pretty cool thing that we have three competing visions that are all dramatically better than the status quo that we're talking about here. None of them may succeed, but they all have a chance and that's pretty awesome. So with that, who's got an opening rant? Isaac, the scaling wars have already been won. There's no competition anymore. So there's nothing to talk about. Game over, end of discussion. Um, yeah, okay, how about this? I'm going to make you each give me a little rant just about something that you are frustrated with or want to talk about, and then I'll pick which one we're going to start with. Okay. Well, we've been talking, we've been talking a lot about the uh, Jimmy Wales stuff. It just, I I find it very amusing just from like a strategic perspective. You've got this guy who's been very successful in the real world and he's been invited to speak and everyone's freaking out now saying, Oh, well, he's just, he's not really pro BSV. So this is terrible. And and I'm thinking, well, well, consider the position you put him in. It was announced as a speaker. People were excited. And then an army of, of BSV people start attacking him on Twitter saying, Jimmy, did you know that BSV solves all your problems? Did you, did you know this? Did you, did you, I know more about content in, in Wikipedia than you do ever. You're an idiot, Jimmy. You know, and, and, and he, they put him in this position where I kind of understand where he's coming from. He almost has no, no choice but to back off a little bit. I doubt he would have said anything bad about BSV if, if people hadn't just, just calm down, let him come to the conference and, and talk to people but they couldn't resist. They all have to make him agree with them. It probably didn't help that in, in uh, typical coin geek fashion, (laughs) the way that they wrote the article (laughs) announcing that he was coming was like, Jimmy Wales coming to coin geek. We all know that the future of Wikipedia can only scale on Bitcoin SV. (laughs) (laughs) It's like this implicit endorsement. So he kind of forced him to, it wasn't just like, hey, we're excited to have Jimmy Wales come and speak. He's been an advocate for decentralized information sharing for years. And we're going to hear what he has to say. You know, it's like, it it always has this, it always ends with a big rah-rah SV speech. And like, as a speaker, I've been, I've been at a lot of conferences before and some of which I don't agree with most of the people there or even the topic of the conference. And if it's framed in a way that makes it feel like you being there is a, is a endorsement of everything there, you're always going to say something about it. I've had to do that before. So it's just a little bit of uh, overreach. It seemed like from a PR standpoint. Yeah. And from the BCH side too, people's reactions were very stupid as well, that they essentially treated it as an endorsement from Jimmy Wales, that you're giving BSV credibility. You're doing the cardinal sin and when they're playing the prestige game to give some little bit of prestige and credibility to this project, which everybody knows is a scam um, and people are only going to get hurt by it. And I think that's just, that's just so stupid. Okay. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I imagine that Jimmy is not super well versed in all crypto drama and crypto wars and the, as he shouldn't be, I mean, why, why would he be? Um, and, I hope that as crypto grows, eventually we're going to grow out of these little insular communities on Twitter and on Reddit that attack actual like businesses and business been trying to coordinate in the real world constantly. They throw all their morality at them. And if I were Jimmy, I mean, 
he's in a position where he could just refuse now straight up and be like, nah, actually, you know, I read a little bit more. I'm just going to back out as too controversial. And that's a really ugly, um, that's a really ugly circumstance where everybody loses. So I hope that people grow up. I hope that the industry grows up and gets, uh, reduces the inf- influence of these little Twitter communities. Yeah. I mean, just, just <laughs> I shut up and let people like, not, yeah, let not people everything come talk. is news. It's not. Yeah, exactly. Or, or a moral to be a debate though with Jimmy and Craig. Have you guys heard that yet? No. So <laughs> you know that GK's so on the end. Please, please let this happen. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know the uh, the Slack screenshots that always get shared, the undated Slack screenshots that could be from two years ago or two hours ago. We never know. But but Craig actually said some things about Jimmy and was like basically saying, hey. Are we only supposed to talk with people that already agree with us? I think it would make an interesting debate. I think it would be nice to like talk with a skeptic. So the way Craig talked about it, and, and the, I'll, I'll pull it up when someone else starts talking here and, and see if I can read it directly. But it sounds like it's going to be a debate between Craig and Jimmy. And if that's the case, then this is the best kind of publicity you could ask for. Not honestly, though, that, that would honestly that would be terrible. That'd just be such a waste of like <laughs> it would be so incoherent. Just let me hear what Jimmy is gonna say at CoinGeek. You know, the Q and A is gonna be rough enough, I imagine. Well, well, I guess th- there would be nothing for him to speak about unless he's just gonna make a presentation on how he has zero interest or respect for BSV because the stance that he took after you know all the BSV people came at him was basically like. There's zero chance, you know, like I've, I've looked into this. This can't do anything for us. He took a pretty hard stand. So I think there's no context for him to be in there unless it's some kind of debate or panel where he can have some back and forth with some some BSV people. I'll be interested to hear uh, if they debate uh, Craig's various claims to have invented Wikipedia back in the 90s. <laughs> He's actually patented all the technology that Wikipedia is built on. Um I mean, I just think people need to understand that, um, you know, you don't always need to convince someone you're right. Sometimes you just need to just just relax a little bit. And, and with people in the crypto community, I, I like there's a time, there's a place, and there's a person. And it's not Twitter. It's not now. And it's not... It's not, you know, BSV Dragon 242 who's going <laughs> to convince who's going to convince Jimmy Wales, right? Like it's let him talk to someone who actually can communicate effectively and isn't doesn't come off as like a, a ranting raving cultist lunatic yeah what kills me is the moralizing too that yeah. i i remember this back in uh with the btc debacle the social media engineering that was happening the the bitcoin wars were always couched in morality that you're a bad person if you support the centralization of of bitcoin by wanting big blocks and you then you're a bad person if you support bsv or or you're a, a criminal an aspiring criminal if you support bch it's always couched in a language of morality um and that's it's just very very tiring and, and the the thing is well, that and when it's a I great way to, to make yourself stupider too you know yeah well exactly when i talk to these people i i actually suspect they believe a lot of what they're saying with regards to the morality that they do view themselves in some kind of a moral crusade. Um, and that, I don't think that speaks highly of their intelligence. Well, in a moral crusade is, is not necessarily a bad thing. If you are morally like, I feel very 
compelled on a moral level to fight against tyranny in whatever forms I can in my world. But I think when you start to look at every potential tool, individual, network, or strategy as it must itself either be good or evil instantly, uh, that's really, really dangerous. Like, you know, you don't have to, not everything is moral, right? Like in my effort to, you know, make my own life better and make the world a better place, I don't need to have a moral position on brushing my teeth or on which toothpaste to use, right? Those are practical questions that don't necessitate some kind of, you know, religious crusade. Now, I will say in, in defense of uh, at least some SV people, I posted something on Twitch, the Bitcoin SV sort of Twitter thing, uh, mocking their response to Jimmy Wales. And it had like a whole bunch of people liking it and branching it Good. and stuff like that. So, um, you know, not everybody is no. totally crazy. And I posted on Twitter and a lot of people, a lot of people responded positively. I think, I think the quickness of the moral judgment is, is a big yeah. component of it. Right. You know, you, they tend to mistake errors of knowledge or, or gaps in knowledge as, as gaps in morality. So with, with Jimmy, for example, the moment you see a disagreement about BSV or he says something about it, it's jumping to, you know, Jimmy's a child pornographer and stuff like that. And, and I mean, I, I have no, I mean, I don't know. I have no evidence to suggest that. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, but that, that's the kind of thing I see over and over and over again. Oh, well, oh, well, he's actually just a criminal. Oh, well, he's actually peddling child porn. Oh, he's actually selling fentanyl on the streets, you know, stuff like that. Right? Um, and, and I think that's strategically stupid. Even if you feel that way, I think that's a strategically stupid mindset to have um, because it's, it's, it's not going to work. I don't think in the real world. So it's funny, uh, you mentioned the morality thing. Well, every time we do these videos, you know, we'll, we'll post them around and we'll get different reactions. Um, and I found it, it's really funny. Whenever I post anything in RBTC, um, and I don't do it very often. I've been following that subreddit for many years, but I'll post a question or an idea or a response to something. And it's usually just sort of like a, like, you know, not like a pro or con BCH type of thing, just sort of a more general thing. I always get like downvoted into oblivion. Like for yeah. some reason, and I'm like this on Reddit in general, like Reddit just doesn't like me and I don't really know how to use subreddits without everyone there like hating me or whatever. But uh, somebody was posting after one of our videos, like, oh, Steve Patterson, he's like a horrible guy and all this stuff. And I was just like, and I usually don't engage in comments. I was like, well, you know, that's not really fair. Like I actually know him and think he's a good guy personally, but even if you don't, like he has ideas that are worth engaging because they were saying, oh, he's an SV shill and he's just a mole for Bitcoin SV. And then as soon as I posted that, <laughs> there was like, there's like some bot that people have set up, like a purity checker. Like, <laughs> like this person has posted this many times in SV. It's like, you know, how many times have you looked at other women? You know, it's like a, it's like a, some sort of like test. And then it, I was just like, all these people were coming on and just saying, I couldn't believe it. It was just so weird. It was so anti-interested in discussion, anti-curiosity. And it's like, guys, no version of Bitcoin has won anything yet. Ought you not to be like curious and at least interested in discussion instead of immediately trying to decide who is and isn't of the true faith? Yeah, we're kind of in an interesting space still with regards to social media and these online communities because the early Bitcoin days, um, the Reddit was a big deal. <clears throat> really was the place where you could gauge the community sentiment. It was actually a community at that time. It wasn't like a big established industry. Um, you had high quality discussions 
on Reddit and some of the other information channels. And so I think because a lot of the Bitcoin businesses, the early Bitcoin businesses grew out of that that broader community, they over they placed a, too much of an emphasis on the sentiment of Redditors and Twitterers. So I think part of the failure of Segwit2x was a overreaction of businesses to the online social media trolling, a lot of which was totally fake, but I don't know if they knew that at the time. So hopefully at some point, the internet in general, actually this isn't just exclusive to crypto, um, I hope the internet in general will, we're going to see some kind of a culture shift in which there's a, a less uh, uh, merit placed on the, uh, the claims of random people on Twitter, on Reddit, and even on like Amazon reviews and stuff. That whole system is totally game. It seems like we haven't quite transitioned out of that yet, but I think we're heading more towards that direction. Hey, Steve, do you see this happening with the blue check marks as well? Just, just attributing less credibility and trust to someone that's got 15,000 followers on a blue check mark, putting their opinion out there? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not super, I, I don't follow Twitter that closely. Um, I was actually persuaded by Ryan Charles when he was like, yeah, screw Twitter. I'm just going to use it as a publishing platform and like unfollowed everybody. I thought, oh, that's actually good. So I, I get, I get more value out of that platform um, by really not engaging unless it's stuff on my own content. So I can't really say. I feel like every time I go onto Twitter um, or every once in a while, there'll be like a uh, comment about, oh, look at this guy, Steve. He, he must think he's so much better than everyone because he doesn't follow anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and I don't really follow many people either. I use, I use private lists um, and that I find that's much, much better. But I agree with you. I mean, um, I, I think we're probably going to be transitioning out of this at some point as well we, you know, because it's 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 not it's not working anymore i right, follow right. like 1300 people and i love it <laughs> so, so yeah. here's an analogy that isaac and i talked about with respect to like the future of social media credibility it's it's in hollywood there's this distinction between let's say stars and socialites a, a star is someone that's widely known and respected because they're actually doing work they're building projects they have a career leonardo dicaprio is a star right the socialite is the person that goes to all the parties, they drop a ton of names, they claim to have a friend that's a friend that's a friend of a cousin that knows, you know, um, you know, Tom Cruise or whatever it may be, and they always seem to be the kind of person to put you in touch with whoever you need to know if you want to be big. And when you're new to Hollywood, it can be hard to distinguish, like, who the socialite is versus who's the person that actually has power to make a difference in your life. Uh, and, and the newer you are, the more susceptible you can be to deception, except in Hollywood, it's such an old industry that there's a certain kind of protocol. You, you kind of, there's wisdom that can be passed down to let you know how to sift out the people that are just full of BS. Whereas yeah. in social media, this stuff is so new yeah. and, and status inflation is such a phenomenon that it's still really early and too early to know who has power in the real world versus who carries a lot of weight on Twitter. You know what I mean? And I don't think those two things are the same. You can carry a lot of weight on Twitter, but actually have zero ability politically, economically to do anything in the in physical space. I think that's a great point. And, and I, I think we, we need to be deliberate about it. I think the businesses that are trying to build in crypto or really any businesses need to kind of accept the fact that we are, are, uh, we're not 
sophisticated in our uh, social media hierarchy analysis, however you want to phrase it, and just kind of make a decision that, look, we're not, we're not actually going to put this much stock in what random people online say. I think it has to be deliberate. By the way, uh, this just popped into my head. I'll try to remember to link it below, but there is a phenomenal long article by Eugene Way called, wait, Eugene, I think that's who it is by, uh, called Status as a Service. And it's kind of an analysis of social media networks that's in that vein. It's one of the, one of the best I've read. Um, okay, so I want to get to a lot of topics here, including the BCH developer funding proposal by some of the miners. Um, but I want to talk about epistemological problems in Bitcoin, uh, inspired by Steve and, and Derek, you wrote an article actually, and this, this relates to protocol lockdown, whatever that means. You wrote an article making an analogy between uh, chess and Bitcoin in terms of the rules of chess being known, and that gives the players the ability to do long-term planning. And if the rules were constantly changing, you wouldn't have that. And that spurred between all of us a really long discussion about that because the rules of chess, while they are locked down in sort of a, during the course of a given game, let's say, uh, they certainly haven't been locked down in their history. They have emerged over time. And we just started really having this discussion about what, not only what does it mean for a protocol like Bitcoin to be stable, or if we're going to use analogies like money in the more just social context generally or language, what does it mean to be stable? What does it mean to be emergent? What does it mean to like, how do you know when a change is needed or when a change is not needed? Who makes that decision? What's the process like? That's a whole lot to unpack. But I want to just kind of start with the article that you wrote, uh, Derek. Give us the Cliff's Notes version, and then um, you know, I guess we can go from there. Well, yeah. I mean, our, our conversation about it was 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 great. I almost wish I'd had it before I written. I wrote the article, even though nothing nothing. I wouldn't change anything about the article so much as I would maybe just add a note that um, change is not necessarily bad, right? I mean, and, and a lot of the systems that we take for granted today, like language, um, have changed over time, but they are, they are sort of static in any given moment um, enough so that we can continue to, for with language, for example, communicate. I mean, although words have changed definitions over the course of several hundred years, in any given moment, we all have a completely agreed upon set of, of rules for language that we use and that allow us to communicate. And if we didn't have that agreed upon set, we would not be able to communicate effectively. But it's not so, explicitly agreed upon or necessarily no, written down. It's Sometimes. not as... Yeah, exactly. But it, it, it is a set of rules that we all sort of know and that, you know, no one's really changing. Uh, there's, there's, no, there's no group of people who can potentially change it right now, right, for us uh, in any meaningful sense. Um, so I guess with the analogy with chess, I mean, um, I think that you couldn't play chess if the rules were changing midway through the game. Um, chess is sort of built upon long-term planning, which is why I think it's analogous to like an economy or economic, economic, uh, uh, uh decision-making because people don't make economic decisions just in a spur of the moment kind of thing. I mean, successful economic actors make decisions over the course of several decades sometimes. And so, you know, when you look at like an economic system, you want an economic system that has relatively stable economic rules. Um, and I, I think I tend to uh, you know, think of the position that some regulation, I mean, 
I, I want to get rid of all regulation, but some regulation that's stable is better than constant rule changes where, you know, one moment something's legal, the next moment it's not legal. One moment the tax rate is this, the next moment is this, the next moment it's this. I think that stuff tends to be very disruptive to long range economic planning. And so when you think about Bitcoin, I think it's very, very similar. If the block sizes are constantly being edited, if the protocol is constantly being edited, where some one day this kind of script works and then six months later this script doesn't work, that makes it impossible for businesses to really build any kind of model on top of that platform because you're, you're, you're basically relying on the fact that in six months you got to hope that someone's not going to change the protocol to make your business uh, no longer functional. And I think we saw that with, with BTC, where we saw a lot of businesses try to build things on Bitcoin only to realize that the dynamics of the, uh, the fee system were going to change so dramatically um, and the way Bitcoin worked was going to break down at scale. So a lot of these gambling businesses that were built early on in Bitcoin basically went out of business because it no longer makes sense to be, you know, placing, uh, uh, have a gambling business built on uh, high fees and slow transaction times and stuff like that, or, or even really RBF as well, which totally screwed up uh, a lot of the business models of early Bitcoin businesses. So the threat of protocol changes from some sort of central party is a threat, I think, to... Um, to long range planning in a very similar way that if some kind of chess board could change the rules, every single move of a chess game, no one could ever be a chess master, you know, because a bishop would suddenly be a pawn and a queen would suddenly be a knight. And that wouldn't make uh, chess very, very practical. So there, there's something in here that's, that's really tough to grapple with because I think I agree chess would be terrible if not only in the course of a game, if the rules change, but even in the course of, let's say you're a professional chess player, yeah. in the course of your career, a, a change comes out of nowhere that could be potentially very detrimental into your you know, training and whatever. But if there is never any changes in the history of chess, then whatever chess initially was, it would be today, which I don't know what that is, but it probably sucks. It's I'm totally different. It's totally, totally different. A totally yeah. different game, Right. And so like there's some, and it's similar with language, you know, if in the course of this conversation, the meaning of words just changed and there was some vote or something, um, that'd be terrible. But also if, if throughout history, languages couldn't change as technology and knowledge changes, uh, that would also be terrible. And so like the stability argument, um, there, there needs to be a, a massive amount of stability but not rigidity. And there's very few yeah. complex systems that, that do that. I think language is, is one that I think of uh, frequently and social norms, more broadly speaking. Um, how do you get that in Bitcoin? That's well, the question. Uh, so I, I, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think when you make the language analysis, language analysis too, it's, you also want to think about what is the protocol of language? Because I think, I think that can, can, change your analysis of things too is the protocol of language is it just is it just the letters is is, is, is it the alphabet or is it uh, a little more complex than that um because the alphabet is is has i think that like the english alphabet has been more stable than like the english language for example a little more stable than english language in terms of like length of time that it's gone where it hasn't gone through any significant any changes whatsoever um whereas the actual english language itself i mean like old english uses pretty much pretty much the same alphabet that we use now um, whereas old English is completely, you know, largely, uh, indecipherable today, or, in, uh, you know, it's almost a, it's almost a separate language than, than modern English. So I, I think the thing being exchanged is ideas and the thing that requires stability is meaning not so much like if, if 
all of a sudden you're like, from here on out, the letter X is going to be drawn in a different way or represented in a different way. That actually wouldn't be all that disruptive with the exception of like replacing keyboards and whatever yeah. in terms of us being able to communicate with each other and share meaning. If the meaning was always shifting, I think that's the, so what is that? What's the relevant analogy to Bitcoin? Uh, I don't know. I guess if you stopped calling small denominations Satoshis and called them something else, that doesn't really bother anybody. But if all of a sudden the entire economic incentive structure is different uh, or the block size just randomly gets restricted when everybody thought it was going to grow or, you know, like something that changes the nature of how you plan to use it. I don't know. Steve, you, you sound like you, you were about to solve this for once and for all for everyone. Uh, definitely not. Uh, <laughs> I, so I like a lot of the ideas from the BSV camp in this area where they talk about the value of locking down the protocol. <clears throat> but I, I, uh, I think they can be hoisted by their own petard here because they correctly say that the rules of the system uh, are determined by majority hash rate. So much so that they say we could even in theory have invalid blocks inside the blockchain if majority hash rate puts them there, which is a very radical claim. However, they, they don't seem to then see that the rules of Bitcoin can fundamentally change almost at any point with majority hash rate. So on the one hand, they say, oh, that's, we're locking down the protocol. But on the other hand, they say the miners determine what the protocol is effectively. Well, that, there's, a, there's a tension there. So I, I, what I think is a compelling argument that I, I haven't heard too many people say is that the way you achieve protocol stability is not by fiat declaration. It's simply by making it too difficult, practically speaking, to gain majority hash rate agreement on protocol changes. It, it, practically speaking, I think that would be by just scale. So you have, a, you have a huge industry that's built on this technology. You have relatively decentralized mining sufficient that it's not just one company that's setting the rules. And there you might, you might be able to achieve protocol stability aiming towards achieving protocol stability is totally different than saying it is definitely already set in stone. This is also something I wanted to say from the BCH perspective with the, I think, I think some people understand the value of protocol stability, but other people <laughs> definitely don't as we're still doing the six month hard fork changes. And that's not something that is going to be successful in the long run. It must be the case that at some point you stop making radical hard fork changes. Otherwise, people aren't going to build on the protocol and it's going to be broken. Um, because something I want to talk about later, maybe, um, is the going back to the epistemology thing. If you have people changing the protocol or some group of people changing the protocol, um, it implies that they have some type of knowledge which is they're sufficiently confident in that they conclude, okay, now is the time we need to fundamentally change the protocol and potentially break things um, because we, we want to add this feature or we want to reduce this use case or we want to change the power dynamics a little bit because miners have too much power. Like, that's a huge epistemological problem to solve. And we already have concrete evidence, dem dem demonstrated facts of what happened in BTC that the, the engineers and elite coders don't actually have enough knowledge to make good decisions about how the protocol 
should change, upgrade or not upgrade. So we already know that the it, it can't be just a central group of engineers. I don't think it can be just a, a group of idealistic libertarians. And it seems like the miners are probably the people who have the best uh, incentive here to know how the protocol needs to be upgraded. But even then, there's a big problem because we also have demonstra uh, demonstrated history that the miners maybe don't even care that much about what the protocol is and maybe don't even want to involve themselves in, in learning about uh, how the protocol works. They just want to kind of maybe mine and let other people deal with it. That's a big problem. That's not a, if anything, that's not a resolution to anything. I've just said there's, these are really big problems that I don't see anybody really discussing. Well, I like your point about, um, I like your point about, uh, uh, at scale. Sorry, sorry, TK. Take him down, TK. You want to go? I'll give you a chance. <laughs> no, I, I, I know Isaac was laughing. You're good, man. Um, <laughs> I like your point that at scale, the product, like the, the goal is for stability. Um, so if you think about language, for example, you could imagine in very small communities, it would be easier to lock a language down in the sense that you can, you can create these rules and you've got a really small community. It's like easy to like enforce rules top down about language. It's like, Oh, you've got to do this. You've got to speak it this way. You've got to, you know, these were, whereas like at scale, like you start thinking about, the use of English around the world, like that, that, that totally breaks down. You can't do that. Um, and so the goal, like, I think, I think scale really is the key. You can't just be, you know, at any kind of small level, protocol changes are, are possible. I mean, even now, even now with BSV, it's kind of shocking that people are saying the protocol is locked down because I think, well, I mean, it's not, if you're not changing it now, that doesn't mean that miners couldn't change. It doesn't mean that majority hash couldn't move from BTC to change it right now. Right. And I it's mean, already on the roadmap to change, to make more changes to the protocol, right? You're going to change the difficulty adjustment algorithm, which is a huge deal and a huge uncertainty. Are they going back to the original or? Yes. Okay. So I listened to an interview with Steve Shatters where he said that is definitely on the agenda is to eventually go back to the original um, uh, uh, difficulty adjustment algorithm, which is, which, that is a, a bigger ex potential existential threat than any other changes on any Bitcoin um, uh, fork. Like, tell, tell me about that, Steve. Why is that an existential threat? Well, so <clears throat> it's possible that any chain can experience something like chain death if they're operating on the old difficulty adjustment algorithm, which all that is, is every, um, let's say it's like a thousand blocks. I don't know what the actual number is. Every X number of blocks, you have an adjustment in the difficulty. Um, so what can happen is if the amount of hash rate decreases enough on a chain such that they're not pushing out blocks at a rapid pace, uh, you can, you can have the chain essentially slow down to where it's no longer working at all. There's like no blocks being produced and you're never going to reach that uh, point where the difficulty adjusts. So you essentially have this kind of slow death. Now what um, BCH and BSV have done to prevent that is they've tweaked the difficulty adjustment algorithm. So it adjusts um, much quicker. So you don't really have the risk, even though there are fluctuations in hash rate, which can cause 
um, annoying things and, and how long it takes you, for blocks you smooth to smooth it out a little bit by making the it, adjustment it, happen more rapidly. It, exactly. Exactly. So when you have fluctuations in the price, the underlying price of the coin, and you have the old difficulty adjustment algorithm, you're now playing with fire. BTC has the old difficulty adjustment algorithm and at any point could slow down to almost an unusable degree if the hash rate moves in particular ways. And if BSV is saying they're going to do the same thing as a minority hash rate chain, that is like, that is a huge, huge deal, both for BSV and for BTC. Um, BCH won't be affected by this because whatever happens between uh, those chains, they'll be, the difficulty will adjust in time. But in terms of like protocol and, uh, and tech, technological instability, having two of the old difficulty uh, algorithms at the same time is totally unprecedented. Hey, Steve, not, not, not to move too far in a conspiratorial direction, but I'm, I'm curious. Please about do. <laughs> okay, so if I understand you correctly, moving to this, to, to, to this approach is such a danger precisely because there is another blockchain that has the same approach, right? Yeah. If, if it were just BSV and BCH, this wouldn't be much of a concern. It'd just be a matter of which one seems to work right. best, right? Okay. Yeah. So could it be the case then that this is a move that's setting the stage for a chain death showdown between BTC and BSV? I'm not, I'm not even claiming that it is. I'm just curious yeah. if, you, if that's something you find. I definitely think that's the idea. I mean, back when the, when the um, BCH fork happened, that was part of the idea within Bitcoin Cash, yeah. Is if we can put we can tip the scales at the right time, get the hash rate to change and the underlying price of the asset to change, then maybe you can effectively kill um, BTC. And a part of the reason actually that BCH spiked to like over four thousand um, dollars shortly after the split is because the, the we were experiencing a little bit of this. The blocks in BTC were taking forever. That to was propagate. the most exciting time. It was. Short lived. It was. Yeah, it was great. I loved it. Yeah, November 2017 uh, so, to like December yeah, honestly, 2017. That's, that's one of the very attractive things about BSV to me is that everybody there talks openly about, um, no, we're not looking to run around with all these different versions of Bitcoin competing for slices. We want to we wanna crush BTC and BCH. We want to you know flip the market, whatever. Now, the way they say they're going to do that is almost always like, because we have patents and we're going to sue you and, and weird, <laughs> unattractive stuff that seems uh, not only unattractive philosophically, but bad strategy. But at least they're talking that way, where BCH almost seems to be a resignation now that like, yeah, well, we'll always kind of be like second fiddle to BTC. And like, I hardly see anybody. I will say there was an AMA with miners on Reddit just, just recently. And I saw one of the miners being like, we didn't. We shouldn't focus on all this weird funding stuff and distraction. We should focus on the one thing that matters: flipping BTC. And I was, was like, "Thank God, you know, somebody say like it's not over yet, guys. Like, crypto is so early. Let the version of yep. Bitcoin that works the best <coughs> win. Go for broke. Go for the whole market. Uh, well, Be the well, category leader. But you say go for broke. At what is the risk? that you're willing to accept here. Go for broke, meaning uh, uh, try to fight BTC head on as two oncoming trains and one of them's going to die. And if you're trying to market yourself as being a reliable payment system, you have to put an asterisk and say, yes, this is a stable protocol, except that's, we're going to do, we're going to run headlong into a train potentially. It, uh, that, that's not that, a strategic, that's not a, when I say go for broke, I don't say that that's not a strategic um, desire I have. 
That's a vision desire. Oh, when you have a, okay. a project or a company or something, what's your what? What do you, what's your big hairy goal? What are you going for that's going to excite people? How big are you trying to be? If you're going to, to fund a startup, what size of the market are you trying to capture? How much do you say, oh, well, there's this competitor. We're never going to compete with Microsoft. We're just going to be this little thing that will take this one niche of the market. That's a fine business strategy. But to me, if you want something as epic as I think Bitcoin Cash can be at scale, the real goal is global money. And it's to not just take that mantle, but to make BTC utterly irrelevant so that you kill it. Like that's winning. And yeah. that is the goal to me is really motivated. Let's talk yeah. about strategy instead yeah. of like, let's just infight about ways we can tweak our own little thing and make sure that everybody's happy. You know, like that's yeah. so small and unexciting to me. I saw a developer the other day post uh, in one of the read.cash articles said, we're no longer trying to be Bitcoin. And uh, we're trying to be, you know, Bitcoin cash. And <clears throat> I thought that that was just a really sad, for me, sad shift to see in some of the, the mindset of the developers, because I, I had thought it was always sort of agreed upon that, look, we're, we're following the Bitcoin economic protocol. The goal is to be the top coin, the one that's used globally by everybody. Um, and I'm not even sure that you can, in this market and in, in the way that the hash power dynamics work, I'm not even sure if you can reasonably take the approach that we're going to be second best or we're going to be like our own niche um, unless you're willing to change the uh, the proof of work or something like that or change the system substantially so that it's no longer even resembles Bitcoin anymore. I mean, honestly, as a fan of, you know, we all want the global money we all got in this for, just being that aggressive and trying to, to take that mantle, it is possible that if BCH gets significant traction in that regard, BTC says, oh, we have too much to lose. We'll raise the block size. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which like, as like a fan of the scorned and underdog BCH, it would be sort of sad. But as a fan in the bigger picture, it's like, okay, well, this is what it took, but at least we got bigger block. You know, I don't know how that would work in the long term, but like, it just seems like I, I want that ambition and I like that. And I, I, I see that from BSV, except I see it in all the wrong ways. I see it in the ways that cause a company, if you were to think of it as a company, and in BSV's case, it literally is mostly a company, uh, to stagnate, which is, you know how we're going to win? By locking everything down and suing all of our competitors instead of just like innovate, innovate, innovate. And I know there are people out there who are like, no, it's not about Craig and it's not about, it's about what we build. But 90% of the talk and the strategy is about suing people and just wait till everyone starts going to jail and legal compliance. And it's like boring coin, like, hey, we're going to go get government contracts and be compliant instead of just innovating and winning the marketplace, you know? Uh, you know, we're going to lobby the taxi cartels to improve their service instead of just launching Uber and saying F you, right? Like good ambition. The goal is huge and that inspires me, but the strategy is, BSP is a weird culture because there's like a dynamic of both. TK law. needs to defend them. Okay, we'll let, we'll let you go. Sorry, TK. There's, there's a dynamic of both like this, this very strong, like we're going to use patents and copyrights and trademarks to enforce uh, our version of Bitcoin. Um, and yet there's also like a very entrepreneurial, innovative culture and there's a lot of cool things being built. In fact, I would argue, um, and everyone's going to get pissed and say I'm a BSV troll because of this, but I would argue that there's way more interesting things being built on BSV right now than there are on Bitcoin cash. I, I agree. Um, and I think part of that is the reason part of that is because I think the Bitcoin cash developers, a, a handful of them have created a culture that is so toxic 
and so hostile to people uh, experimenting with different uses on the blockchain that a lot of those people have left and moved somewhere else. Um, so, you know, it looks like when I'm thinking about BSV, I mean, it's, there's a lot of more exciting things being made. And I know there's a lot of cool things on BCH too, but yeah, it's just interesting to me to see that, that weird dynamic because there is the kind of annoying legalistic element of it. I mean, we were joking the other day that, uh, uh, there'll be like uh, local.bitcoinsv.gov or something like that <laughs> as the, uh, equivalent of local.bitcoin.com. Um, Come to your local BSV. And it's going to be like uh, a DMV where you've got to upload like a huge set of financial <laughs> forms that like you can only fax in, <laughs> you know, you can't, yeah. you can't email. You've got to yeah. print off and fax. If you don't do it the right way, your application gets tagged and sent to the government. <laughs> you, need, yeah. you need to prove your identity with a rusty staple and a coffee yeah. stand. And, and an electric bill. Yeah. <laughs> and backdated documents. Yeah. I mean, there's just like, like that element of it is, is, is pretty frustrating. But at the same time, I mean, what's being done is there's some pretty cool things. So, TK, you go. Well, you haven't gotten to talk. Yeah, man. I, I, um, I, by the way, I think we should come back to patents and maybe spend some time on that because I think there are some interesting things going on there. Steve's recent Twitter post, his interaction with Jimmy Wynn over it. I think we should talk about that. Um, I'll say a couple of things. I, I think Derek really captured most of what I was going to say here. But one thing I will say is that all of the criticism of, of DSV's sort of like government first innovation ladder approach, DSV is the only blockchain that's constantly in the position of being criticized for doing risky and dangerous things that make it really vulnerable. And they're doing it because they believe this is what's going to make the superior technology. So this conversation, this part of the conversation started because Steve pointed out that you don't move to this difficulty adjustment approach un unless you're ready to get smashed by BTC or unless you think you can take them out, but you are making yourself more vulnerable. That's a huge permissionless risk. That's like being the one boxer in a world where everyone is comfortable being number one contenders to say, I think I can get in the ring with Mike Tyson and I'm going to try to knock him out. Like BSV is doing that, even when it comes to the recent Genesis upgrade and, you know, the, 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 the removing the restrictions and allowing the miners to set the limit for the block size. Most of the noise is you guys are going to regret this. This is really high risk. You should take the BCH approach or the BTC approach. And DSV is not waiting around on government. They're not relying on patents here. They're saying, no, we're going to scale because we believe this is the best way to go. And that's a huge risk. And the majority of people believe it's going to fail. So I think the risk that DSV is willing to take is significantly underestimated. And that kind of gets drowned out by the rhetoric of, of patents because that rhetoric is so loud that it can be hard to see that if you look at BTC, they've got fantastic rhetoric about free market competition but there's no innovation going on. It's the same old stories about Lightning Network and someone <laughs> raising 10, $20 million for a product that's never going to happen. And we should also remember like developers could be, you know, as, as crippling towards the innovative culture as, as other things. I mean, um, <laughs> limiting the block size and being over obsessed with like efficiency um, can be very bad too for, for fostering a culture of, of building things and, and innovation as well. TK, so I want to ask you, um, well, first I want to make a statement that I, I actually really like the approach that um, BSV has taken here to say, hey, miners, it's now Steve your responsibility. 
<laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> He's paid by Calvin Air. I, I wish people would would say that to all the BSV people that troll me all the time and and were like, "You're just a you're a crime corn coin supporter. You you're a BCH guy." Or that you just be a true mole and ask me easier questions in moments. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I, I do like the approach that BSV has taken here of saying it is then now the miner's responsibility to figure out some of these technical issues and we'll advise you, but we're not going to set it for you. I like that approach a lot. I'm very glad we're going to see that experiment in, in the real world. But a question for you. So you're talking about the risk that BSV is taking. I agree. They are taking on risk and it's, 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 that is exciting. However, how do you deal with the tension between we're a stable, non-risky protocol and we're taking all of these risks that might end up destroying the system? Yeah, in the sense of like balancing, we have a lockdown protocol with we're moving to a difficulty adjustment that yeah. makes us vulnerable to BTP. Yeah, yeah. Or well, even so- just, um, you know, we our network allows blocks so big they could crash the whole thing potentially. Yeah, I mean, well, at some point, I think it's worth finding out if Bitcoin really can work. I mean, to create Bitcoin and release it into the world is 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 a risk. Creativity is inherently risky. And I don't think I don't think it's ever possible to promise people that creativity will always work. But you can promise that it's worth doing and that it's the only way to do interesting and amazing things that change the world. And so I think for, for BSV to take this approach with the block sizes is to say, hey, if we're ever gonna find out, you know, we're gonna be the ones to get the answers. But but I'm not sure if I'm if I'm addressing your so do you think then the the rhetoric about locking down the protocol and this is a thing you can build on that's not going to break, do you think that's just purely rhetoric or, or because it seems to be in, internally inconsistent with the idea of making potentially these changes that could really break the functioning of the system? Yeah, so um, I, I, I spoke with Joshua Hensley about this for about an hour. He's um, a content contributor at, at CoinGeek and, and at the Bitcoin Association. He actually has an excellent video about like 22 minutes long called the uh, Genesis uh, Protocol Update. And, and, and he sort of spells out what he thinks everything means and how it works and, 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 and gives his arguments for it. And I think it's excellent. I'll, I'll share the video. But from my conversations with him, he says that the BSV community is actually guilty of having misled people about what protocol lockdown means and has done a poor job at setting expectations. Um, This is a guy from the Bitcoin Association who says this, and he says the most important thing to focus on when it comes to protocol lockdown is really that transactions which are spendable today will continue to be spendable. They will not become unspendable at some point in the future and vice versa. So, and and I'm, I'm trying to, articulate something that he can explain so much better. But if you take like an in-lock time transaction, for instance, that's made in 2016, that can be broadcast at some point in the future, like 2024, there's no protocol upgrade that's going to make that transaction unspendable uh, and vice versa. So if something's unspendable today, it doesn't become spendable in the future. If it's spendable today, it doesn't become unspendable in the future. And the second thing is, is that if you are doing on-chain business development, no future protocol changes will result in you needing to make changes to accommodate that in order to continue servicing your users the same way. 
So I, I think that's already wrong, though. I think that's already. Hold, let, let me defend. Let me defend the the point. Well, yeah, no, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna counter interrupt you. Hang on. Okay, so, go ahead. Uh, okay. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, so there have already been changes around multisig here, where um, I believe Money Button has said they had to deal with this, where the way they have they have discontinued one particular way of doing multisig, and it affects the way that wallets have to um, be structured. So is the idea that post Genesis now we're not going to make any changes? So, so protocol, I, we have to change the wallets. I think that's the idea more because they got rid of something else too. They got rid of uh, uh, P, uh, what is it? P, P2SH. Really quickly, one of, one of the things Joshua <laughs> says here in his video is that whatever protocol lockdown means, it absolutely does not mean no future changes will be made, right? But that future changes won't affect those two parameters that I just discussed. So it's a concession that there are still changes that are going to take place after Genesis. With the Ryan thing and money button, I believe, if I'm not mistaken here, that that problem was was mostly the res result of like changes he had to make from choosing to run his own node, I believe. I, I, I believe that that's something that could have been avoided but 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 I believe it's both both post Genesis. That's when these changes apply. But I believe that money button issue was more about how how he was running it, not about the changes to the. Well, but there are some businesses that are going to have to run nodes. So Steve, let me let me give a let me pull this down for a second because there's a difference between there's a difference between philosophically being philosophically precise about what lockdown means and does that and debates about whether there's ever any possibility of something getting disrupted or the protocol changing or breaking something. Um, and many BSV people present it as if that's what it means that it's this. And then we all end up debating philosophy and we have these thought experiences. So what about this? What about this? And I get sucked into that. Now, when I step back and I think as an entrepreneur, and I've been thinking the last couple of weeks about various business applications that I would love to build that could potentially we're gonna be we're gonna get you all into the crypto world soon that could potentially be built on Bitcoin. I mean, I, even thinking about my current company, which is you know people making these beautiful professional profiles and things. Like I always like to ask myself, is there some version of this that's better built on Bitcoin? And thinking about other businesses now, when I do that, if I get an idea that I think this might actually have something, this could actually be a Bitcoin business. I immediately think, which protocol would I build it on? Now I can tell you with BTC is like a no-go completely. Ethereum feels the same way for similar reasons, but slightly different. BCH, very, very hesitant. Cause I'm like, I just don't know what this thing is, what it's gonna be. I don't know about Avalanche and Schnorr and some of these, I think I pronounced it wrong again. No, some of right. these things that I can't even pronounce. I don't know. That feels a little unstable to me and it feels too much, too many things to predict, especially for somebody who's non-technical like myself. BSV, probabilistically, I look at and I say, they already have max block size. They already are, they're very 100% clear. We're trying to be the cheapest possible and they have consistently been. We're trying to do the most transactions, the fastest. We want zero comp. We want all these things. And I know that that's what they're putting out there they want to maintain. And I have the highest level of probability as a business person that that's going to be the most stable with one exception. There is a huge looming existential risk of instability on BSV. And that is 
their legal weird strategy. That is, Craig Wright could go to prison for all I know. I don't know. They're weird. They're crazy. They're bombastic. They're trying to sue people all the time. I could get sued if I build a business on it and it turns out that they don't think that it's doing something legally with some blah, blah, blah. And like, I don't know that legal thing, that obsession with law and suing people is either going to make them die by their own sword because they'll end up going to prison or it's a risk that like, I don't, they talk so much craziness then it changes all the time. Like, what does that mean if I want to build a business on it? Do I have to, is there some weird legal risk that's involved? And you can, you can give me all the reasons of BSV fans why that shouldn't be the case, but thinking as a pragmatic business person, that is something that concerns me. So protocol wise though, from, from a pragmatic standpoint, even if it's not philosophically airtight, there is no question that I feel much better about the stability of the BSV protocol than any of the others for better or for worse. Yeah, I agree with hundred percent of what you just said. I mean, I think that's exactly correct. And I think it would be wise for BCH, which I'm still partial to BCH, um, to recognize that fact about how an entrepreneur is going to be thinking about things. Um, uh, I, I did want to say one point, Oh, you, never mind. I'll, I'll come back to it. In the middle of that, My you said something that's a little long. Yeah, no, there was something really good in there. Well, but I'll so have to come back to this it. is not, Isaac's Isaac's hesitancy is interesting to me because I think <clears throat> this is something that the BCH people tend to underestimate is, is the signal that you're sending to the world. Um, and they tend to think that, oh, well, our blocks are, like I hear this often, our blocks are only one megabyte, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, they're, they're good enough. Yeah, they're, they're good enough. Like we don't bring 10 megabytes on. We it. don't need anything right now. But when I, when I see that kind of talk, I think, well, that's kind of naive because you have to consider what, are you se- what, what message are you sending out into the world to people who are thinking about doing something on the Bitcoin Cash blockchain? And I know firsthand and I won't mention them, but I know there's a couple of businesses that wanted to do some very large volume transaction uh, of transactions using Bitcoin Cash. And they were hesitant given the uh, <clears throat> 25 chain transaction limit and um, the uh, block size dynamics right now that it's just not going to work. So I, I think I think the Bitcoin Cash people need to understand like they're, they're, you need to think about the, the people who are not yet on Bitcoin Cash, but who might be thinking about it and what, get inside their heads. You know, there's, there's unseen people who are never going to join your blockchain if you don't create a culture that allows them to participate. Exactly. Uh, that's, that's kind of what the, the point that I wanted to make was that culture matters here. So when you're talking about protocol lockdown, I suspect there's a lot of imprecise, funny business going on that, that people like, they get, they get caught up in the marketing and they aren't actually telling the truth about what that means. But from a culture standpoint, I think that's incredibly important to just the, the fact that you have the community, the industry, the miners, uh, the businesses that are building on it, all repeating the same line about the importance of the same thing is important from a, from a cultural standpoint, because this is another thing that people in BCH don't understand. And it seems like a lot of the, you know, and this Bitcoin cash community was all together before the BSV split. It seems like we lost a lot of this group of people with the BSV split is the recognition that there are entrepreneurs like Isaac, who has not been active in the Bitcoin subreddit, right? has not been active in these Twitter wars that people probably don't know who he is, but he's, the wheels are spinning. He's thinking, well, maybe I could use a blockchain like this, or maybe this could make it more efficient. And there are companies like you're talking about, um, Derek, 
that have maybe large amounts of data or, or transaction volume that they would put on that blockchain and actually use it, but you don't hear from them beforehand, yep. but, they are lay, but they are listening to the signals. They are listening very carefully. Say, can this actually work? And if, you're, and if you are the, the French central planner who says, no, no, we all, we, blocks are less than one megabyte, or, or maybe I shouldn't have said that. Oops. Uh, it's, it's like, the, have you heard of the principle of the, un, the seen and the yeah, unseen, which exactly. a great French economist, Frederick Bastiat, came, you know, articulated. Okay. I like how you brought back, you, you came back and made it, uh, here's a good French. Uh, <laughs> exactly. there, are good, there are good French people as well. <laughs> exactly. Just, they were in the 1800s. <laughs> uh, Since exactly World War I, no more. <laughs> you went there. I didn't go there. Uh, uh, but uh, I, that, is, that is such a critical um, uh, feature that we have lost in Bitcoin Cash is the, exactly. the acknowledgement that signaling capacity is incredibly important. And we have no reason whatsoever to think that growth of the new global money is going to be linear. It's like, of course you would expect as you see progress along that 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 graph, eventually you're gonna get a big player and you're gonna get multi, you're gonna get an order of magnitude more transactions in a short period of time. And then that's gonna be a signal to Microsoft. Microsoft goes, oh wow, they're already pushing through this transaction. And then it grows and it grows and it grows ex- exponentially. And even the idea, you know, that, you know, transactions will always be cheap and there's any amount of data and there's no such thing as spam. Like, good. I don't like the idea that some use case I might think is cool. If some developers like, no, we don't like that. That's spam. That's, you know what I mean? (laughs) Well, it's not not an attractive uh, proposition. Daniel Krawitz has a good uh, point that he kind of makes regularly now, which is you want, as a blockchain, you want to signal that you allow profit seeking and you allow as many forms of profit seeking as possible. And so, you know, limits on the block size are like artificial restrictions on seeking Un- profit. Unless government bodies say yeah. that they're bad, but you can't do any of those. <laughs> yeah, unless uh, certain types of profit, if the government decides they're illegal. Exactly. But, um, well, you know, in also- general, like the idea of, of allowing profit seeking, you know, uh, uh, and as a business owner, you don't want to be in the position where, you are trying to build something and developers says, oh, well, no, you can't make money in that way because it's inefficient. Right, exactly. Who, who determines what spam is? It's such a preposterous idea to think that you have some third party software engineer who says, oh, you, this is spam because you could do the same thing more efficiently with another method. Yeah. Like, what are you talking? That's not your you're not in the position to make that claim and you're not even taking into account the the costs of using a separate system versus using bitcoin like people often say well you put the data on ipfs and you hash the data and put that inside the blockchain okay that is a more efficient way of doing things is it more difficult for a an an average entrepreneur to figure out how to use ipfs versus just to drag and drop an upload into bitcoin uh, into the bitcoin blockchain right so if the, uh, the entrepreneur is the one that needs to be making that decision, not some third party. Hey, well, I've got a website is- where people can purchase something on it. Uh, <laughs> and every time they do, I make money. I, I would hope that I would get spammed with transactions, right? <laughs> if they're paying for it. A lot of techies uh, underestimate or they don't, they don't take into account why someone might make a decision because they don't, 
they're in their narrow sort of bubble and, and, and they think about only the way that they would do things, but they don't consider why someone might make a choice that, for example, makes a small security trade-off or makes a small efficiency trade-off uh, on like, like efficiency on the back end because it just makes it easier. I remember like um, back in the, uh, the day when I was doing a lot of work with WordPress, um, I would have like a couple developer friends tell me, oh, PHP is so stupid. Uh, you know, like you got to be using JavaScript. You got to do this and that. I'm like, well, I don't know JavaScript. And, and, you know, I know enough PHP to spin up a site real fast. And WordPress is super easy. Like, it's just super easy. Yes, it's not, it's not as fast as your new, you know, no JS. Yep. It's not as quick. I get it. That's but always it, the worst thing when you're like, hey, this solution just did everything I wanted it to do. And I'm yes. pleased. And someone yeah. says, yeah, you're pleased because you're stupid. Exactly. I was going <laughs> to yeah. say, I guarantee you their reaction was to go, well, you're dumb. It's always that way. You know, and even like when I host my uh, Breaking Satoshi site, I host it on GitHub pages. And um, I remember talking to someone who was kind of suggesting that, telling me how to set up GitHub pages. And I, it was so complicated. And I was like, oh, this is going to suck. And then I realized I could just type it directly. Everything I wanted to do, I could use GitHub itself as my CMS without having to use command prompt or all of these extra things without having to set up a dev environment or any of that stuff. And I told the guy that and he was like, you can't do it like that. Like that's not, <laughs> that's not proper. Right. And I'm like, well, it's, this is all I need though. Right. And I think, I think people tend to like, it's like, yeah, theoretically it'd be better for me to do X, Y, and Z, but the time and energy trade off it would require to do that. And the complexity involved is so much higher than me just typing it into a GitHub text document. Um, and so these, these techies tend to just not think like that, it seems. So yeah, you absolutely want the entrepreneur or the person who was directly involved. Really, it's the person who was closest involved in the process of profit making should be the one making the decisions because they have the understanding of what's really needed to be done. Yes. And, and think about how many businesses, uh, successful, profitable businesses, maybe even massive businesses, or perhaps especially massive businesses, are using theoretically inefficient technology. I mean, how many, like you think about the healthcare industry, right? Of course, there's a lot of government regulations. Do you think that the technology they're using on the back end is theoretically ideal? No, it's probably a joke. I'm sure it's massively insecure. It's got all kinds of problems, but it still works. And you can imagine, yeah, exactly. And, and, and some people have made this argument about Bitcoin as well, that Bitcoin is kind of a similar thing. Uh, I know, I, I, I don't know. If, have you read that article, Bitcoin is worse is better? by um by Gwern Branwin. It's on Gwern.net. It's kind of an interesting idea. It just talks about like like one of the reasons that cypherpunks or, or sort of the academic crypt cryptographic people didn't think of Bitcoin is because Bitcoin is sort of an inelegant dis uh uh, system, or at least it appears inelegant to some of those academic minds, because you've got all these people storing all this information all around the world, and it requires constant energy to upkeep. Um, as opposed to something like, like maybe like a proof of stake model or something like that. Um, so I think, I think, yeah, I agree. I, I think the tendency for some of these people is to think about theoretical problems and not just let people tend to like work these things out. Like I, I can't understand why someone would be bothered by, by inefficiency, an inefficient business model on the blockchain, because if it's truly that inefficient, then it's probably not going to survive long. Right. So like the, hey, the concern there is not really a problem. Exactly. Like, uh, let it, a, let it happen though. A funny illustration of the, uh, good enough technology. You guys know what the, the largest, um, jobs board, uh, in, in the country, at least maybe the world, uh, and that has the most roles filled. Do you know what it is? 
Craigslist. Yeah, yeah. It's just like <laughs> it's like disgusting, like the unchained, old. ugliest <laughs> excuse for a website in history. Oh, so you know, it's like Drudge Report is like a you know crappy you know old nineties style website, and yet it's wildly trafficked. Yeah. The value of the use trumps any technological beauty, right? Just getting the, what's the most valuable thing people want to do and enabling that as quickly as possible is just orders of magnitude. All the other stuff's nice, but all right. So which one of these two topics do we want to go to? Wait, 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 can I, can I chime in here real quick? Yeah, go ahead. One is a joke. Two is a serious question. My joke. Well, if, that, it's, if you tell us it's a joke ahead of time, it puts so much pressure on <laughs> Yeah, it might not be funny. No, but pressure doesn't matter. I'm not funny anyway. Like I'm not going to get a laugh. So I might as well put the joke out there. Um, Longest list, Craig's list. Longest chain, Craig's chain. When it's all said and done. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> okay. Definitely not funny. <laughs> <laughs> I guess things will happen that. All right, so Steve, would you say, I'm, I'm thinking about protocol lockdown. I know you didn't like the definition I gave earlier. Would you be satisfied with a definition that said, protocol lockdown doesn't need to be absolute, but, it, but it, it, it's comparative, right? There's like a range. In the same way that we might talk about decentralization or distribution, there, there's no absolute state of decentralization that's viable. Um, it's all relative, right? Um, yeah. could, could we say that a, a lockdown protocol is one that most efficiently secures the profit-driven nature of the network? Yeah, I mean... I don't know about most efficiently. I mean, that would be a hard claim to make. Most, most successfully? I, I would say maybe it seems to be the most practical method. Like it seems reasonable to follow along and say, okay, if we don't change the protocol all the time, that means that the profit seekers are going to be able to successfully execute their plans. I agree with that. But I don't, I don't know. I, I, think, uh, I think the... the I've talked to several people in BSV who will insist that what protocol lockdown means is technical protocol lockdown, as in version 0.1 was perfect and we're not moving beyond that. And I, I, I think I, I prefer the way that you phrased it, but I have a suspicion that there's quite a lot of people in BSV that wouldn't. But, but, but could we say then, moving towards the technical, could we say that, that the original Bitcoin protocol um, is the one that most effectively secures the profit-driven nature of the network by making it miner-centric versus developer-centric yep. and, and making it scalable so that your, your earlier concerns are addressed, right? Where you said the scalable system offers the most security, right? Because that's what incentivizes miners to do the right thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's... I think that is a, a clever way to rescue a con the concept of protocol lockdown is to say, well, actually, the, the real protocol isn't the technical protocol. It's the economic protocol. It's this other protocol. And it's just best instantiated through the But the even, even though that's what failed, right? That's like people like, oh, well, there's nothing wrong with the Constitution. It's just that it completely failed to restrict people to abiding by the constitution. And it's like, well, isn't that its whole point? So saying like, well, Bitcoin was already perfect. In fact, it was so perfect that it was immediately co-opted and ruined. It's like, well, isn't that the whole point of it is to not allow that to happen? It's clearly not perfect. So I'm trying to incorporate two things though, because you're totally right about that. I'm trying to incorporate having the, the right kind of protocol because we all agree that before it got co-opted or hijacked, and, 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 and the blocks were artificially constrained, 
that that Bitcoin was already set up to succeed if we just sort of followed the there, right. There was way. an assumption that it would, and a lack of understanding of just how vulnerable it was to developer capture. I think. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so we need a second element. One, we need the right protocol, but we also need an approach that scales faster than than being captured by developers. Something along those lines. Something that could be described like that. Yeah, I, I like. It. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yes. So maybe we can say that for BSV, that is, we've achieved part of that, or BSV achieved part of that. I don't want to say we, because I didn't work on the protocol. I don't want Ben calling me out on that. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't sitting next to Shatters when he did it. I apologize. I don't know. Who are we? But part, that's partly been achieved by putting it in the hands of miners now which no one else allows for miners to set the constraints. They can say two gigabytes more, whatever. But ultimately, that can happen on any chain. That's what I want to say. Is so wait, wait. On BCH right now, if, if miners want to mine uh, two gigabyte blocks, they can? Miners yeah. can go higher than that. The default's just set at, well, not, not two gigabytes. They can go up to 32. 30, well, I guess, I mean, if they, if, they, if they had enough hash power, they could raise the block size, but... Yeah, but what, what, what I'm saying, though, is, is, is right now in BCH... The, the, the community is developer-centric such that they are the ones that determine what the default block size is, right? And yeah, in, a, in, a, in effect, I think, because I think, that, I think that what I have underestimated is the degree to which miners will simply just defer to developers yeah. on these decisions. And so that's when I, when I see like Bitcoin Cash people say, oh, well, the, like the market has chosen because the two megabyte block default cap, like miners are mining that, so it's fine. Like it's not a problem. It's like, well... Really, though, like I, I think we've realized the miners, for whatever reason, at least haven't seen it in their, their interest to be more involved. And so they want to just like, oh, we'll just run whatever software the developers give us. And so if the developers yeah, give yeah. them software that is full of like centrally planned sort of bullshit, then they're just going to run it. And that, okay. I think I think that's so, one of the reasons I, I like BSV a little bit, too, is because it seems that the miners are taking a little bit more of an active role and saying, no, like we're just going to we're not going to do that. Well, okay, it's so, a question, and this will get to our BCH funding question, but of, of, I've always been surprised that we have not seen a more vertically integrated industry. Why, why aren't the biggest mining concerns also funding their own development teams that are running their own implementation? Um, I would expect that. I would think that would happen, and, and it's happening in the case of BSV, but it doesn't seem to be happening in BTC or BCH, which is surprising to me. Um, I don't I know. I think it's about to happen in BCH. I think it will happen in BCH um, because because I, I I think that this developer funding question has drawn to the surface a lot of the problems existing with with developer capture. So I, I want to cover a couple of things that ha- were sparked when you guys were talking. Just don't about let us this. forget we got to cover the, the BCH minor well, fee. We got to do our questions and, from Twitch and the patent thing that TK yeah. wants to defend patent somehow. Oh, and we have some <laughs> questions from Twitch. So we okay. got to talk about all those things. But go ahead, Steve. Okay, so he, here's my attempt at synthesis here. So um, there's clearly a difference between miners in theory and miners in practice. Like miners as this abstract group in our theoretical understanding of what Bitcoin is. They have a certain amount of power, but we've seen that miners in practice, the actual individuals involved, I would say, don't recognize the power that they have and have deferred their power and given it to other people. Though they might retain 
the, the fundamental power to make changes. In practice, they keep deferring to developers. Okay, so, so here's, here's a, a different approach to try to explain the dynamics between the, the different Bitcoin blockchains. Perhaps what's really going on is we're simply trying to find the group of competent entrepreneurs in the domain of miners and developers and businesses. So rather than saying, oh, this is a fundamentally different system and uh, we're locking down the protocol and that means this, it's more, it's something like what we're trying to, to figure out is who is the better entrepreneur? Is, are the miners who are taking an active role in development on BSV, are they the competent individual entrepreneurs that have the ability to take Bitcoin to the next level? Or is it the actual uh, individual miners, the humans, the, the jihans, a lot of the Chinese miners in BCH and BTC, are those the people, the individual real humans that are going to take Bitcoin to the next level? And I kind of suspect that maybe this is, this is the, the ultimate sorting mechanism we're trying to get at here is, is who really is competent. And part of the competence is understanding the power you have and exercising it in a way that's profitable. So yeah. to the point, I, I think right now, miners are not incentivized to increase their understanding of that power because decisions of developers don't seem to immediately affect the Coinbase reward. At the end of the but, day- But, but that's, that's what they think. They're, they're wrong in that judgment, right? They think to themselves, well, I don't have the incentive, but if they were better entrepreneurs, I think they would realize they actually do have the incentive. In, in the long term, but, yeah. but right now, there's very little that miners will do that's going to cut into their right now profits. Well, do you know what I think the makes all of this so much harder? It's so much harder for all the players in the Bitcoin world to get quality information about risk and reward and long-term planning because the market has so much speculative noise and there's so much money going in and out and prices going up and down yeah. for reasons that are incredibly unclear because it's so small and new people come in and, oh, it's on my Robinhood app. Oh, look, I just saw when I went on SoFi has like a, hey, you can buy Bitcoin on SoFi, like the student yeah. lending platform. Like, so you have all this money and that means the signals are really discombobulated. So as a miner, you've got all this invested. You just don't want to lose money and go and do anything that's going to dramatically cut into that. And you're not going to be like thinking real big about, well, let's just like, you know, go all in on this or let's up this. Right. Let's, let's just let those guys tinker. And I'm mining three different variations here. And I just like hope that I don't lose money because I borrowed a ton to build this massive mining farm. And all that, all that money, all that noise, it's just really hard to overcome. I mean, a, a handful of large financial players can come in, buy a few coins and create enough signal, price signal that confuses everybody's information about the underlying value. It's, it's just very, very hard to, to tease it out because there's money to be made. Like I would argue too much. There's too much money in crypto given how undeveloped and unusable it is in the real world in a way. So I was talking to one of my friends who's uh, been involved in a, a Bitcoin business for many years about a similar issue. And uh, his company was struggling a bit. And I, we were both saying, like, why would we assume that the many idealistic young libertarians that got involved in the crypto industry are competent entrepreneurs? 
because there are a lot of people who maybe don't have much experience in the real world. It's not any of their fault. They, they just had a, a set of interests that happened to be within the domain of the intersection of money and politics and computers that they were first to get excited about a project like Bitcoin. And so maybe they, they became, they made these companies and made these businesses that aren't going to work because the actual competence level isn't as high as it needs to be to be successful in the real world. I feel like miners are in that position right now where it might be that the, the really the whole industry, the whole crypto industry just isn't made up of enough quality, competent humans so, to get the job done, which is why the, uh, I like yeah. Steve, I've, I've had the experience of meeting people uh, occasionally in Silicon Valley who are like, now they're, now they're an investor, they're a venture capitalist and they're really young and they're like tweeting about, you know, wisdom on startups and yeah. you know, they're running, they're on podcast interviews, they're an expert and they have millions of dollars to invest. So people listen to them and they, some of them, some of them are brilliant, incredible entrepreneurs who have repeat success. They clearly see something. There are some who literally were tinkering around did everything they possibly could to screw up the opportunity they have, but the opportunity was so big <laughs> and they were there and they took some risks. I'm not taking anything away from anybody, but this is a part of the market, especially when you have power law returns in, in the information age. And they made a ridiculous amount of money accidentally. And like, they actually are not competent to, right. to be able to continue to run that business. Often they exit, but if you don't, it's like people who are in crypto early, the smart ones, and the dumb ones all made a ton of money exactly. and now have a ton of influence. And, one, <laughs> and that's a challenge. That's a tough place to be yeah, in. Yeah. And one more point on that. So there's a lot of people in the crypto world who, who, who make premature universalizations and they go, oh, you might have thought that the miners had this important role in the ecosystem, but we've just seen in the real world they failed and they don't have that important a role. They don't really care about the code. They just want to run their mining equipment. I think that's a premature universalization. That's just yeah. those individual miners have made that conceptual error and have acted in stupid ways. But if I imagine there's going to be another set of minor entrepreneurs who don't make that conceptual error and have a much stronger say in the development of, of the ecosystem that will actually win out. There's a sort of like early adopters fallacy, I think, where you you can you can look at the success of early adopters and assume it's it's based on different types of competence that it might not actually be based on. So you know, I, I know a lot of guys. I remember back after, like right around in 2017, when the the bull the huge bull market was going on, a lot of these guys that I knew who made a ton of money all started setting up crypto investment advisory firms <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that. And they're all, they're all gone now, right? <laughs> Every single one is gone. And it was very funny. Laugh. Isaac and I actually have several people that we know personally from the sort of libertarian scene. And I remember one guy in particular, I'm not going to mention him, but I remember kind of thinking, this guy is like a total clown like before, <laughs> but he made a ton of money. And then he's running a crypto advisory firm and he's got like this mastermind group where people are paying him for investment advice. And, you know, every time I've seen this guy, he's like drunk. He's like, you know, you know, just, just, just incoherent, <laughs> but he has a lot of money <clears throat> and people look at him for a while as like, man, I've got something to learn. And you actually, you know, you, there are something to learn. I mean, he was willing to take the risk in the early days. That's, that's very uh, important, but 
that's not a guarantee of future success. And that's not a guarantee that the kind of competence that makes you successful as an early adopter makes you successful in the industry later on. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, having been at the, the early stage of certain startups too, like early adopters can be your best friend and your worst enemy because your early adopters are like really great because they're on board for ideological reasons. And those ideological reasons will often, uh, uh, make up for their own flaws or the flaws in your business model. Um, but later on that stops working. And hey, I think he's a good guy. The, the Reddit bot said that he's been faithful to this sub. Must be somebody we should trust. <laughs> exactly. I think, we're, I think we're starting to move out of that. Crypto needs to move out of that. And I think, I think we're maybe starting to see some of that. And, and that's why there's some of these, uh, these growing pains. Let's yeah. talk about this piece, what, 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 funding proposal. Well, no, TK's got to say something. I do too. Okay. We're never going to, every time I want to get to something, it never gets gotten to. Okay. Although at the beginning, when you were giving us the floor. In case we don't get back to it, let me just say, I haven't seen any version of it. That isn't absolutely crap. I hate it. Okay. Well, there we go. In case we never get back to it. TK, go ahead. So there are two sides to this coin. On one side, we have the early adopter problem where miners are uh, the least innovative that they're ever going to be in Bitcoin history. It's only going to get better from here. And on the development side, it's still not as profitable as it's going to be in the future to make money mining Bitcoin. Right now, there's nothing you can do mining Bitcoin that's going to be more profitable than getting the Coinbase reward. Once miners are incentivized, however, I mean, once we scale and there's more money to be earned through transaction volume, through transaction fees, then miners become incentivized to, to get more creative and they become more defensive against the things that developers might want, into, want, want to introduce. And maybe this can be a natural segue into the BCH thing, because I think the, the, the BCH, I don't know what you guys call it, the tax or whatever, but, but the, you, can't, the, you can't call it a tax TK. What, what, what a tax. Call it? Don't, so, don't so call it the, that. The BCH debate is based on the fact that for maybe the first time in Bitcoin history, developers propose something and and miners are kind of conflicted about it or worried about it why because they're incentivized to kind of think critically about that because this is the first time a developer change has threatened to to, to alter short-term coinbase rewards right well, now, the, the miners proposed the miners proposed it some of the one of the miners proposed it the developers are some of the developers are on board like i think uh, the abc developers are on board but it was a, it was a chinese miner who proposed this idea? At the same time, he was responding. That, he was responding to months most of the money. Support yeah. it, the and he was responding thing. to months of these developers complaining right. on Telegram. So, I, I get the point. Like, it's, it, miners are proposing it, but it's it's. I, I I can see it as the developers are sort of trying to like strong arm the miners or something it, like that. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like a, a, a going on strike. Yeah, you know? exactly. The, the, the main point is this, because I want to make a point about scalability and transaction volume. The main point is this. If you ask any miner right now, um, do, these, do, do these proposed developer changes alter the amount of Coinbase you, alter the amount of Coinbase reward you receive in exchange for solving a block? The answer is going to be no for all of these debates. So they're not incentivized to care in the short term. The main thing that promises to change that is not more education but scalability and more transaction volume. Because once miners are making as much or more money from transaction fees, the moment developers propose to alter that, miners will be forced to care by their own self-interest, whether they're smart and creative or not. Yeah, yeah I, I can agree with that. 
Yeah, that's a good point. I, I want to make just one more thing on on uh, a kind of an economic point. So, uh, some people think that economic cycles are kind of unavoidable. You get the hype cycle, and then and then eventually there's a bust. And um, for technologies, and I wonder if essentially the phenomenon is that you have in every young industry like the the new internet startup and the tech boom and maybe it's happened again with the crypto boom is you get the the kind of idealists at first and then there's too much hype and it brings in lots of money and just a massive amount of idiots uh who are trying to make uh, money off of projects that are inherently doomed and then eventually you cross your fingers, you hope you get a recession, you hope that the, the dead wood gets burned out. And then those few people left over who, who are actually competent can start building on that technology and the new players, the new other big competent players can move in after the bust and start building. Um, I don't know if I, the crypto recession was deep enough. That's what I was, I was just about to say that is I'm not sure that, well, so I am sure that we had the, the boom, which led to a bunch of doofuses making money and throwing money at, at the wall and flushing it down the toilet. But I'm not sure if the bust was extreme enough to, to kind of cull uh, as many people as need, as need to be called. This is like, there, there was so much value from a big picture in bankruptcy and recession and the, you know, from the big picture economic side of things. Yeah, no, I agree. So let's talk about the dev tax, but it's not really a tax. I don't, I don't think it's a tax. It's not using coercion. Uh, but like it or not, that label one, it came yeah, out immediately it and everyone's using it. And I can't, it always pops into my head. So rhetoric is a, is a dangerous thing. But let's, let's talk about this proposal in BCH. So it came out like the day we did our last video. And so we barely had any time to think about it. Um, my gut reaction then was this kind of seems stupid. And after spending several weeks reading all kinds of pro and con everything for it and various versions of it, my slightly more informed gut reaction is, well, this is kind of stupid. So, uh, <laughs> what's going on with this thing? Like to me, this seems like trying, it's like, um, it's like a solution without a problem. Like, Developers yeah. are complaining they want money. Well, they're always going to complain they want money. What is something that needs to be done to the BCH protocol that literally can't be done because a developer needs X amount of money? And if that's the case, why doesn't a developer put together a pitch for this is what I need to do, this is how much it will cost, will you fund me and get funded for it instead of just, hey, developers have been complaining, let's just permanently yeah. give them, a, or for six months, give them a ton of money and hope it makes things better. That just it seems crazy to me. It felt like they put together a budget without a, like without knowing what was actually needed to be done. They just said, "Oh, well, we're going to fork over, you know, at the current price, six million dollars, and that could be a lot more if the price goes up. Um, we're going to put this into some kind of fund, or we're going to donate it to developers directly. I mean, regardless of what the actual like, that's the thing. Regardless of the the specifics about." how they're giving the money, whether it's a group of people giving it or whether they're just sending it to certain developer groups, it makes no sense um, to set up a budget without asking the developers what's not getting done that you need money for. Like, you imagine you run a business and you're like, hey, the engineering department, they keep complaining. They can't, they need more money, whatever. All right, we've heard your complaints. Every other department, give them 10% of your budget. Yeah. It's I like, mean, well, what for? What are they producing? What am I going to get for it? What, you know, like- the incentive, Give me a roadmap. 
the incentive is, is okay, if I say I have $6 million, well, the incentive then is for the developer budgets now to rise to $6 million. I mean, that's essentially what it is. It's, 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 like, um, it's like lifestyle creep or something like that, where in a certain sense, like, like your expenses rise to make your, meet your income. The you hedonic know, dev treadmill. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what it is because I, <laughs> I really do think that, like Peter Risen kind of mentioned, I think in his article about sort of development for development's sake or, or something similar, um, where the, um, um, and the Bitcoin.com article mentioned this as well, where the, um, uh, you know, if you have a, a budget set, then suddenly it's like, we need to go claim this budget. We need to find projects that we can do. I mean, it reeks of like, public works and stuff like that or something where we have a big budget. Now we need to go figure out how we can spend it. Okay, Steve, your turn. Defend this terrible idea. Yeah. Well, so I remember <laughs> last time we, we spoke, it just came off the presses and I was like, okay, I could get excited about this. Depends on how they implement it. But I imagine they're not so foolish as to just say, here's $6 million. You figure out what to do with it. Well, and what, then, what made you think you might be able to get excited about it? The idea that trying to find a a more systematic solution to where the developers are, are getting funding or the developer incentive structure? No. What's the it, problem it, you feel that so this may, it, maybe solves? So if it's the case that there are real protocol developments that needs to be made, that need to be made, then it makes sense to me, you're gonna to have to pay developers to do it. And if miners, if, if a majority hash rate has decided even through somewhat sloppy mechanism to say, okay, we got to fix these things. I'm um, like in his article, he said, we want people to work on pre-consensus or avalanche, but I don't remember how they described it. You know, the, the miners had this idea, okay, we got to work on this thing. We need to raise money. Here's how we're going to do it. It's a little gimmick to get the money from BTC miners and we're going to implement it and we're going to get it done. I thought, okay, well, it's not ideal, but maybe that's, that could be a very good sign. But then the, uh, the main miner who wrote the article did like a, an AMA on Reddit and people, I think I, I asked him and other people asked him, like, hey, how is this structured? Who's going to come up with the, the proposals for exactly what gets done with that money? And he said, yeah, the, the developers will figure out what to do. Yeah, and, and that, like, that's the problem. The yeah. idea of miners saying, okay, we're <laughs> going to, like, for, the initial idea excites me in theory because I like the idea of, of miners. Like, I wrote my article a collar and a leash, like in a certain, like I like the idea of yeah. de- if, if miners are giving money to developers, there is now a accountability mechanism for yeah. the kinds of things developers are working on. Do you feel but like that, it's positive well, in that it, it signals that miners are serious about the long-term interests of the protocol and want to attract. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, imagine it were the case that they said, here's how the funds are going to be structured. It's held with us. And here's a list of things we want worked on and you can pitch yourselves to us to get this pool of money. Or how about like, we're just going to fund a a fellowship for three developers that lasts for a year where we bring them in to work on these three problems that we're interested in solving. Exactly. Even if they did it in kind of a gimmicky way, and that they set up the Hong Kong Corporation, maybe that's not necessary. Who cares? The implementation details like that, yeah, it's not ideal, but maybe we could actually finally get some work done as directed by the people with the most skin in the game. The so, so let me ask a very honest question here. Do you feel that BCH has suffered because uh, protocol level developments have not gotten done? Uh, I'm not sure. I, I, I would like to 
get more details. Okay, so, so that's a maybe. Like, I think, but that's, I think, but, but I, okay. I want to I say there's what one I, way in which like, it has I suffered. I there are way. some ways. There are is, like, there, is there a known problem? Yes, that you there's one. BCH I know there's that, a, that would be solved by giving money to developers. Not necessarily giving money to developers. Because how but, have they funded but, it so far? But here's here's I mean one known problem, one clear one is the transaction chain limit, which is seriously limiting one of the larger businesses on Bitcoin <coughs> Cash, which is Satoshi Dice. They've been around for a long time. They do a lot of transactions. They're they're you know a business that was willing to put up a lot of money and capital for this. Um, they're they're one example that that has not been done. I mean, at least well, Bitcoin Unlimited says they have a solution, and uh, Satoshi Dice sort of uh, gave them some applause on Twitter. Um, I don't know where that stands now, but I know ABC hasn't really implemented anything. If there was a developer fund, would that have been done? Well, they say so. They say like it's going to cost a lot of maintenance. But okay. my my issue is I don't see any budget that's been put together for how much it's actually going to cost. They were offered a bounty for that, right? Like a Well, they they yeah. said they reached out and that they didn't hear back. I again, I'm I've seen two sides of the things because on the other hand, I I also see them saying, "Well, they expect us to work for free and then hope that we get paid afterwards." And I think, "Well, you know, typically with something like a bounty, you do the work and then go try to claim <laughs> the bounty the instead of, of saying, "Oh, I I'm going to get in touch with you, you know, and then and then you know, we'll come up with some further agreement. And then if you don't respond, then therefore you're not serious. I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I mean, typically you do the work and then go collect. So I, I guess I'm, I'm not, I am not opposed in principle to the idea that more money for protocol development on Bitcoin Cash is a necessary or beneficial thing. I definitely have a lot of concerns about the way that's done and whatever, but I think as a general rule, Money is the very last thing you look at as a solution to any problem. Yeah. There, it, 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 you use money as a solution if and only if money is literally the only solution. And usually there's a lot of other things that are going wrong first. I mean, it's just like if you're starting a company, you don't go raise money until you literally can't do anything else without raising money. Because if you do it before that, money will only decrease your odds of success, right? And so I think like, hey, we have problems on Bitcoin Cash. I don't know what specifically they are, but there's problems. So I guess we should just give money to developers. Well, I think a lot of developers think that, that um, they think that if they just, I saw a lot of people talking about this. Well, all we need to do is make some protocol improvements. And these are very like vague things. And that, that's going to increase the value to share to holders of the coins. And I don't even think that that's necessarily the case. I mean, I don't think that random protocol improvements are necessarily going to increase the dollar value of Bitcoin cash. Not I mean, in if that this were market the, where that, rumors can, can well, double the price. And if that were the case, I think, you know, there's all these altcoins that offer X, Y, and Z features or say they offer those features. They're still lower priced. That's not the issue. Uh, there, there's a lot of other factors that determine price than just incremental changes to the protocol or inc incremental upgrades, so to speak. So for, for Bitcoin Cash, I mean, I'm skeptical of any proposals that are not directly solving real business needs on the network that allow businesses to facilitate more users, uh, you know, more commerce, things like that. Uh, anything else just seems you kind of, kind of, it comes, gets, I guess it comes back to the whole epistemology question and that we're talking about in Bitcoin. Like what's actually, what kind of change is going to make Bitcoin cash actually more valuable? Okay. Th three points. If I remember all of them, one, the focus should be on developing the, uh, the industry and making uh, 
as the industry grows, the amount of money and individuals interested in upgrading the protocol will grow. So if we can actually make this a more successful project in the real world, there will be as much money as required. If we actually land something like a Walmart that's using this for, for supply chains or whatever, they're going to put the resources into fixing things if they need to be fixed. Okay, that was one point. Another point is um, it might be that pre-consensus slash avalanche could be a substantial enough improvement for the usage of the coin that it could justify uh, a few million dollars of protocol development. So that might be one kind of concrete area where we say for this feature in particular, we're going to set money aside. And the third thing is, this is a big one. Um, that's three and a half points. The, I'm not sure there is actual a, a problem with product with development funding in general. It's more specifically in BCH for Bitcoin ABC. So, so if we got to be clear about that, there are plenty of other um, smaller players that aren't crying constantly for more money. It just so happens that people say there's a funding problem in BCH because right now the main implementation is the one who is led by an individual claiming that he's not making enough money. And this is the, the, the real biggest point is part of the reason that the 25 unchanged uh, transaction limit is there is because Bitcoin ABC is still backporting yeah. from code changes from Bitcoin core. Yeah. So Bitcoin core is fundamentally structured their code around having teeny tiny blocks that aren't going to scale. Uh, they have a, it's essentially a different technical approach to how you think about Bitcoin with small blocks versus big blocks. And yet Bitcoin ABC has made the decision that they're going to put a lot of resources into make, t- uh, taking the changes from Bitcoin Core and importing them over to Bitcoin Cash, which in the long run is not going to work. And in, and in the case of the 25 chained transaction limit, that's the decided reason for why they can't fix it is be precisely because of all of these features that are in Bitcoin Core. And I will say other implementations like Bitcoin Unlimited don't have this problem because they forked away earlier and they don't have as much influence from Bitcoin Core. Well, why, aren't, why aren't more people running BU? I think the reason right now, well, I think there's a couple of reasons. One, they've had instability problems, apparently. Uh, the, so people that actually have tried running it, uh, it's less reliable than Bitcoin EBC. Um, and two, there's just a huge uh, uh, risk to, for miners to flip over and run a competing implementation because they, risk, they run the risk of building a block that will be seen as invalid by the rest of the network, which by the way, I am very pleased to say, uh, Bitcoin Verde, this guy, Josh Green, had just came out with this wonderful idea for having like a block template generator uh, where uh, essentially miners can run multiple implementations at the same time and the risks to them will be reduced. I was aware of another individual working on this and now they're like collaborating. Um, so if so we give see that, that guy a couple hundred thousand bucks to get that baby spinning and then we're good well, to go. Interestingly, though, I don't. I'm highly confident that that product would exist without anybody funding it. I, I know that it would be the case, interestingly enough. Um, but but once, it, once we get that technology, hopefully we will this year, that is going to make it much easier for miners to switch implementations. And I imagine uh, we're going to see a, a shift in the market share of uh, 
uh, node implementations. Good. The then don't then don't leave it up to the miners to try to figure out how to fund development and for who. Be like, hey, look, we'll switch to whatever version is the best, and you and you developers, it's up to you to figure out a business model and to go raise money for it and to convince us to run it. You know. Yeah. I mean, I honestly think that's that's the problem. I think I think if developers want funding, put together a business plan and pitch the people with capital to fund it, whether it's miners, whether it's Bitcoin.com, whether it's some other business that might have some substantial skin in, in, in the game and seeing a either a, a project or a node implementation be actually- uh, And show uh, them why it will create value for but, them. But not the problem is the developers have been, when we talked about this a little bit, the developers, at least some of them have been responding with, well, we can't possibly describe everything we do. We can't possibly put a line item down for this. We can't possibly have like a budget or hours for this. And Somehow and my engineering team yeah. does. I'm it, not technical, but they it doesn't need to, to be perfect. This, this, this is like this is like the efficiency mindset. It's like, oh well, I, since I can't come up with like the perfect, perfect, most efficient, optimal budget, I can't put one together. But the reality is, you don't need a perfect one. You need something though that gives people accountability. Because without it, then you have no accountability. It's uh, I think about this kind of stuff. If if the miners want a change, they truly want it, and they're truly willing to pay for it. Can't they just pay any developer who's willing to take their money to go do it? Like, like who, who are these developers that are whining and crying about not having enough money? Aren't they just normal human beings like anyone else who are unemployed and who are saying no to the offer that's on the table? I think they genuinely lack uh, an understanding of how to communicate what they're working on, what they need to work on. Uh, and how to raise money. I think this is, is something I really valued when you were talking about, Isaac, if we were talking about it on Voxer, then you wrote an article. Um, I think what Bitcoin Cash in particular needs, because it's, it's, it's a different funding system than uh, BSV, we need project managers. Like we need, what we specifically need is the go-between of uh, the developers and their technical minds and let's say the investors or the miners or the business players who are maybe bigger picture business focused because it is uh, let's take some of these developers at their word and say they literally don't know how to communicate what they've been working on which is which is a which is a real like entrepreneurial problem like i think about right now i'm 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 uh, i'm doing some professional writing and I, I'm thinking, okay, I have to communicate the things that I'm working on. And, and imagine I was so incompetent that I said, look, I can't explain the process of writing to you. It's extremely complex. Like, I'll try. Okay. So I think of these thoughts when I'm sitting in the bathtub, right? And then, but thoughts are these conceptual abstract things. And like, I write down some words, but it's not just quite right. And then I type, I have this keyboard and I press these little, these little square things and these little symbols come up on the screen, but then I hit the backspace key, right? And I describe the process of writing in this way. You're going to go, you have some mental problems. You have to see the big picture <laughs> and understand you don't need to communicate that level of detail. It's the same thing with coding. Like you don't actually need to explain the code that you were working on and, and cite which lines of code. You have to say in the, in the big picture, what are the problems I'm trying to solve? I was doing trivial bug fixes today. Okay, that's all you need to say. You don't need to try well, in, to technically in, in, in explain it. In defense of my, so like, there is a minimum level of emotional intelligence, professionalism, and communication that any developer needs 
to succeed in an environment working with more than themselves. But that level is not too high. There are plenty of brilliant coders, and I'm sure many working on Bitcoin, who are brilliant, who are doing things I'll never understand, who are necessary to make things work, and who are like the absolute people you want, and who are terrible at raising yes. money or creating a roadmap or a vision. That's okay. I'm not ripping on that. Now, there is a level of like assholeness and social stupidity well, well, that's it's, just it's, toxic and too far, but, it, but there, is, there is that possibility. And, and that's where I think I get excited about the idea of like a product manager at, well, at some of these well, places. Well, like, it, okay, it is, let me translate that into a roadmap that we can communicate, you know? It is okay so long as it's acknowledged as a problem. So it's okay for the super uh, mathematical mind to be unable to clearly articulate what she's working on. Not only is that okay, that is the case for a whole bunch of domains. Communication skills are, of course, very varied. But what's not okay is, is the, the lack of acknowledgement that it's a problem, that, that is, it is an issue on their end. If they lack the communication skills, that's fine, so long as they think creatively and entrepreneurially about it, be like, okay, I need to hire somebody else who is better with the non-technical communication to solve this fundamental problem I'm having. That's such a big deal. I can't even, I, I, I can't raise money. I can't secure access to any funding. I need somebody else to fill that role for me. And for, for what I see from consuming a lot of these people's content, they don't, it's like beneath them to think that they would need to bring in somebody else to explain to the stupid investors and businessmen what they're working on. That's the problem. I'm curious about the people who are like, as you just described, the fact that they are that way and still creating problems seems to be a problem. Why, why are these people not simply reduced by the market into a state of irrelevancy? Because in, in, everywhere else in the real world, if you are difficult to get along with and you, and you insist on not changing. EK, I, you, you haven't met enough employees at enough companies. It's possible to survive uh, quite a bit longer than you might imagine. Well, but, not uh, very but, 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 but I want to know, I, what is it that makes a, BAs, a BCH developer a BCH developer? What, what gives I, I them their status that they, that they are creating so much difficulty? I, I think the market was and or is in the process, in fact, of weeding them out. I think the lack of developer funding specifically for Bitcoin ABC is the market's way of saying, okay, this must be starved. And yeah. it's, it's, it's a mistake to conflate BCH developers with the loudest individuals in BCH who, for whatever reason, have failed to secure their own funding. So if their influence di diminished because of the communication incompetence, then I have no doubt that they would be replaced by other professionals in the space. I mean, I know for a fact there are plenty of people who aren't quite as much loudmouths who aren't really complaining about developer funding that would be just fine um, for the job. So no need to change the entire economic system for solving for one one developer fund or group <laughs> i mean not certainly not until um well it's, it's debatable how much it changes the economic system i mean there's there, the idea in theory at least of like mortgaging the hash power is kind of interesting um i don't find it as controversial as uh as everyone says um but at the same time i think it's like i'm surprised that that was given as like the first option and i'm surprised that that would be considered in the absence of any plan by developers. Um, because my thought is, what if you only need a million dollars? What if you only need $500,000, right? Like, 
it may not be the case that you need $6 million or $10 million for developer funding. So all of these, all of these proposals are, from, in my opinion, just totally useless without clear plans for what needs to be done, when it needs to be done, and how much money is necessary. Until that, like it's, 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 it's almost stupid to be talking about what miners are or aren't going to do, how much money should be allocated, and who should allocate it. All of those questions are secondary to knowing what the money is going to be used for. Um, and so then once you have a plan, you can figure out, well, how do we go out and get money? Because it may be the case that once you have a plan, then you're like, okay, well, actually, we don't need to do any of this. We can go raise money from a couple businesses in the space, or yeah. we can go find an investor, or we right. can do this. But that option's been like basically taken off the table by starting with the approach of we're going to give all this money and just set it aside. I, I agree. And I think that there could be a lot of money to be made specifically for the project managers. Even if one of them's on the call, that would be great because we could use a project manager in uh, BCH. Uh, I, I think that if we were to, if, if investors are listening to this and businesses are listening to this, like I imagine they're going to go, oh, actually that is precisely the problem that needs to be solved. So if, if somebody has the competence to be the go-between between technical ability and kind of big picture, um, you know, say something, <laughs> reach out <laughs> to a friend, we got to get, get a hotline set up for you. Uh, yeah. All right. I usually target <laughs> these things for like, Hey, let's talk for an hour. And then they always go two hours. We've already gone two hours. We got to do our Twitch more. questions and then we got to yeah, get, we got some Twitch TK questions. haven't been involved but, enough. We got to talk more about SV, but TK, I guess. No, TK really wanted to talk about Steve and Jimmy Wynn fighting on Twitter about patents. I, we didn't fight. I mean, it was like two wor- two Steve, things. Steve, you are so anti-hype. We got to hype this. Oh, Drama. right. Drama. No, I, well, I, I, we hate each other. It we was said, a throwdown. We're it now involved in a lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> TK, what do you want to talk about, man? Hey, man, it's all good. Whatever, I'm, I'm just here for the... I'm just no, here for the no, the patent, the patent issue. Tell me, we're, tell me why... why do you, the battle has already been won. The debate, the debate's already over. So I'm just here for the fun at this point. <laughs> yeah, um, the patent thing. So I know, Steve, you, 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 you made a tweet about it, and, and, and you were saying that Craig, essentially accusing him of patent trolling yeah. and, and, and saying that if that stopped, BSV would have more allies. And I believe that you were retweeting someone else, and that was your additional commentary. Who was that? He was retweeting Roger's quote about why Roger doesn't want anything to do with, with SV right now. Yeah. Okay, so I, I think- like I how you added right now. Giving a little hope out there? <laughs> no, no, I'm not, suggesting, I mean, I, I, I'm not suggesting anything about that at all. I mean, I, I would like to see, my ideal would, would be to see some sort of unified big block Bitcoin industry again. And now whether that happens on Bitcoin Cash or Bitcoin SV, I'm not sure I, I, really, I really care about it um, that much and, and which, one, which one actually works. Um, but uh, I just said right now in the sense that I guess uh, I don't like putting words in people's mouth about what they may or may not do uh, or what they may or may not think. I mean, uh, obviously Roger supports Bitcoin Cash. Sorry, I was just adding some intrigue. Continue, TK. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think I have a problem with this idea of, of people disassociating themselves from Craig and Calvin in the name of their patent, tro- their patent trolling, because I think that's up for debate that they actually do patent troll, but that their patent trolling 
is against the spirit of what Bitcoin is all about. Because not only are we are we presupposing what I think is a controversial narrative about what the spirit of Bitcoin truly is, um, but I also think it conflates the distinction between the Bitcoin protocol and the, the, the political philosophies of people who are a part of Bitcoin. And at no point has Craig or Inchain ever said they're going to patent the Bitcoin protocol. Wait a minute, though, um, because there was the statement that, there, there, you know, and I, I could be misinterpreting this because there's, there's all different ways. I haven't asked anybody in BSV. There's a statement in Slack the other day that <laughs> essentially like, that, that. That's these, like the new Bible. We need like. <laughs> yeah. The God, the God, in, in, the, in the, the third chapter of, of right. Um, that, um, uh, no, seriously, that, that, like, that basically Bitcoin Cash and BTZ have like, are like liable or something like that for like a hundred billion dollars in, in sort of contract break, breaking of contractual agreements because the protocol owner is the original issuer of the protocol being, being Craig. Um, that, I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't sound like he's not making a claim to the, the underlying mm -hmm. protocol now. TK, I will grant you every single one of your assumptions and be as charitable as possible. And I won't bring in ideological purity in any way, shape or form. I don't think it makes any sense to be like, I will never use BSV because Craig Wright's not a libertarian and I believe in that or any, none of that. Put all that aside. No ideological reason. Purely from a strategic and business case, the fortress of patents rhetoric and reality is utterly unattractive in every way. Companies that sit around filing hundreds of patents are not companies focused relentlessly on winning customers' hearts and innovating and changing the world. They're focused relentlessly on drawing a circle around what may eventually be used by someone else and then going and trying to collect money from that someone else when they use it. That is, a not, that is not the environment you want. Well, if you're trying to change the world and bring about some global innovation, it is a hostile, regressive, ingrown, anti-innovation, poisonous, let me get mine mindset that's bad for business. It is a bad strategy. It's offensive and it's threatening to anybody who might want to be a part or build anything on there. It creates all kinds of ambiguity. I think it's ridiculous. Like, who, you, you know, you can, Jimmy can say, well, who is he actually sued? I don't know if he's sued anyone, but I know that he's constantly like, oh, I'm going to have a thousand patents on everything you can ever do on the blockchain and I'll come and collect royalties. And I'll like, that is not a business can, model that gets me excited. It's like, have you built anything useful that people are using? Well, Just do exactly. that. Imagine, for example, like if we talk, if we, go, we can bring this full circle to our question of protocol stability and predictability. So even if you make the assumption now that the patents are, are, truly defensive in the sense that they're just trying to stop other people from doing them. They're not actually in intending to enforce them. That's, that can change at any given moment. So you can imagine thinking about building a business if you're thinking about an economic system. And that is a threat to the stability if a patent will suddenly be enforced. If 10 years later, they're going to decide, well, now we're going to enforce our patent. Well, we know that they were defensive originally, but in fact, we're going to enforce this one. In fact, we're going to enforce this one. In fact, we're going to now collect licensing fees. That's very scary from the, the position of the stability of the protocol. So I would be willing to grant the most charitable assumption possible that it's 100% it's defensive patents. They're going to let people do whatever they want. It's just designed to stop someone else from being a patent troll. Even if that were the case, that's a terrifying position 
to to be put in, I think. And if you listen to the rhetoric, he's he's talked about licensing fees all the time for other projects, stuff like Ethereum. They're, they're, they're going to have to, if they want to do some of the technical stuff they want to do over there, are they going to have to pay him a licensing fee? I mean, even if he hasn't sued them yet, I still call that patent trolling. Threatening to sue based on your patents is patent trolling, without, even if you don't have the lawsuits just yet. Well, and they've also shown a willingness to sue for other things, right? I mean, they have sued for a lot of different things. They may have not sued for patents specifically, but there's been lawsuits about defamation. There's been lawsuits from companies I've never heard of about antitrust stuff, which is like, you know, I mean, in my opinion, exactly. like, who, that, where'd that company come that, from? That's the definition of patent trolling is a large co- a company with a large R&D budget. They say, okay, we're going to have a bunch of researchers and what we want you guys to do is just come up with all these things that like may potentially be useful someday and then just patent them. And we just want to, or we'll buy, buy them from other people and nobody has an application for it yet, but we're just going to have a library of patents so that if someday somebody more innovative than us ever thinks up something totally, they had no idea that we ever thought of it and patented it and they invented in their garage and start selling it. We get to be like, Oh, we invented something kind of like that in theory on paper once and paid money to patent it. So therefore we can shut you down. That's a patent troll. And that's a shitty business model, not just because it's ideologically and morally offensive, but because it's bad business strategy for everyone. All right, so some, so some responses here. Except the lawyers, they love it. <laughs> <laughs> so responses here. First, we don't have to spend a lot of time on there. I, I just want to point out that I think the arguments that you guys are making, that patent trolling is a bad business model, is different from claims about refusing to associate with someone because their endorsement of patents is against the spirit of Bitcoin. I, I just think that's that's well. Too- you actually have to remember that, like Rogers getting sued by them too. Yeah, so yeah. And there mean, is something- there's a there's more going on than just than just like oh I disagree with you like on a particular moral position or even a particular legalistic position. Like you know there is I think I think once you get sued, there's now even a legitimate fear. Why would you participate in a, in a an industry in which you're being sued by the major players and in which, you know, you, you can start to see, well, if I make the wrong step in the future again, I'm going to get sued. I mean, that's, that's, that's right. Frivolously. But, but, but to me, this touches on a very important theme because I think your description of what's really going on is a lot nearer to the truth. And, and, and that's what I'm inclined to believe. I think it actually is very personal. I think so one of the I'm not saying it's personal though. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's well, like, I don't think it's like, Oh, I hate you because you're, I think, I, think, I think it's a stretch to interpret Roger's tweet as some kind of ideological purity test. Like if somebody that's not a libertarian wants to use and build on Bitcoin, Roger's not going to be like, hey, no, you're not a libertarian or whatever. It's a, hey, if you're trying to build a protocol that no one's allowed to build on without imprimatur from the state because you patent everything, that's not the vision of this protocol. That's not the vision of this industry that I got behind, not just yes. because it's not libertarian, but because it doesn't work to bring about the kind of end state that we're looking for. Yes. And there is something unique about Bitcoin and crypto in general and the open source nature of the underlying technology. It's not just like any other software. I mean, there is something unique about having that the, the fundamental mechanics of Bitcoin be open source. So, uh, um, in addition to what uh, Isaac and Derek are saying, there is something like a spirit of 
of the Bitcoin industry in the, in the sense that the underlying protocol is fundamentally open source, which as Derek pointed out recently, Craig seems to be even implying that, well, maybe he has some fundamental ownership of, which is preposterous to think about. It's yeah, preposterous. You, you, you pseudonymously <laughs> put this thing out into the world as an open source project. As an open, and then, and license, then leave it after license. two years. And then come back and say, I actually owned the whole thing the whole time and I'm suing all of you. It's, <laughs> it's like, that's like, silly. That's not the same thing. So, I will so, say that I think it makes sense to, in my, in my own personal opinion, you know, and, and it, makes, it, 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 it makes more sense to still hold your coins you know, and, and, and look for opportunities within each of the different individual Bitcoin forks rather than, than writing one off uh, right away because of a problem that you see in it. Uh, I think we've already seen that problems can appear and can go away and can come back. Things can change. Cultures the, the can change. stuff could all be hot air. It could all be nothing. It, it be may totally not be irrelevant. enforceable. There's all sorts of things right. that are like, like, so my own thought is, is, I never want to put myself in a position where I let, like, the, I think the words of other people or the, the threats of other people that necessarily prevent me from seeking profit. Um, and so it's highly possible that all of the bad stuff in SV is, like I used to say, hot air. It's also highly possible, or not, I mean, I don't know how highly possible, it's, it's, it's possible that Bitcoin Cash takes a big turn for the better and the developer problems go away. It starts to scale more quickly like we'd like to see. Some of the cultural problems change. I mean, we're, we're speaking on such a short time frame still that I, I don't think it makes sense right now to just be like, oh, well, this one's stupid because of this. And this one's stupid because of this. This one's a scam. Anyway, that's all I got to say. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So I, I, got a, I got a few things I need to respond to here. So first, in the form of a question, if, if BCH became the winning chain and people are building on BCH, and Apple decided to build on BCH and part of their business model involved them patent, putting patents on some of their products. Would you guys feel the need to disassociate with them because that's not part of the open source spirit? No, and I don't, I'm not saying I don't feel the need to disassociate from anyone anyone right now, um, personally. Yeah, uh, if, if Apple said, we're building our own branch of Bitcoin that we own personally, and we're going to sue everybody else that's trying to do other Bitcoin. We're going to sue BCH and BTC and BSV. And we're going to, you know, patent every idea that's ever been thought of on the blockchain. And, uh, you know, we don't, we can't tell you what we're going to use it for, but we're going to make sure we collect royalties from it. I'd be like, well, that's bullshit. I hope that, you know, BCH wins. Uh, Cause that seems like it's going to hamstring the growth of this thing. Um, not if... A company comes on and starts doing patents. Like patents are real; they're part of the world. I'm not pretending they're not, or I'm not. And, and people do defensive patents, even people that ideologically don't like them, because otherwise someone else will patent it and steal them. That's all real, and that's all part of the game. And I, I get that. I'm not even like some purity person on this stuff in any way. I just don't think it makes a good case. I hope the best case scenario for SV, which I hope is true, because I, I think their technology is is my favorite. It's it's the best in terms of the Bitcoin forks and, and its size and its cheapness. I hope that it's all just a bunch of bluster and hot air and that it doesn't really ma matter. It doesn't really mean anything. It's not really enforceable. And that it really will play no part in the further development of, of blockchains. That's what I hope is the case. I, I agree. And I, I do have a suspicion that enforceability is going to be a big problem for some of these patents. I, I, from, just from the rumors and from people talking about them. And if you read some of the stuff that Craig says, 
or, or try to follow along, um, I suspect that some significant percentage of those patents are completely hot air and are not going to be enforceable in any way, which is a good so, sign. So you can also like, you can disagree with someone strongly. You can even hope that they're going to lose in Bitcoin, but think that they might win still. So like with SV or something like that, like, like I, I, I could see the patent strategy being a plausible winning strategy in terms of actually being able to like win the, the fork wars. I can even see the government's uh, regulatory compliance strategy being strategically more intelligent than the sort of uh, a sort of anarchist uh, approach to, to building Bitcoin. That might actually work. You could also at the same time think, well, I wish the other one were were going to work better or something like that and hope to maybe push one in the other direction a little bit. Um, so I guess I don't, I don't, I, I would reject the idea that just because you disagree with a company or an organization doing something needs means that you disassociate with them entirely or something like that. But why, why would we treat Craig filing a bunch of patents to be any different from any private entity filing a bunch of patents? It's not just a, you know, hey, we're filing some patents on, you know, whatever, some app that we made up. It's like, hey, I'm filing <laughs> like on the economic system. In the hundreds on the on the baseline underlying system that was totally provably unequivocally open source and like cl making claims like I invented the lightning network and I have a patent for it and I don't even think it works, but I'm still going to like sue them for it or whatever. Like it's the, the whole idea of like our thing is patent first. Our whole business case is we own a legal monopoly. Therefore, we're going to enforce that. That is not a winning strategy. If it was like, hey, we're a company and we also have a, you know, if, if, whatever, uh, Bitcoin Unlimited had a patent on some hardware wallet that they built. I'd be like, well, whatever. I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't like patents, but that doesn't really feel like any, any threat or reason to disassociate. This is a different kind. It's like, it's re-engineering the entire history and, you, and case for Bitcoin as, nope, Bitcoin is a giant grant of legal monopoly that will be enforced with a hammer. That's yeah. what it is at its core. That's what it's always been. And that's what we want it to be. That is a and, different Bitcoin. And, so, so, and one, one, I want to answer your question though more directly, TK, because um, the question was, how is this different from any other company? Well, not how is it different, but why, why would we treat Craig filing patents? Okay. Well, I, I would treat it differently because I would see uh, the crypto industry as being very young. And part of the reason I'm so optimistic on it is because there's so much innovation that can take place here. We have programmable digital money for the first time. Wow, this is amazing. And so the idea of right now having a bunch of these patents potentially at a, at like a, a fundamental level of what people have permission to innovate on seems like a, a much bigger deal to me than if Apple has some esoteric patent in some established industry that's probably not going to see much innovation. So I, I kind of see too, because crypto is this young thing, patents are going to do more damage here than they would in other 
companies well, and other industries. Well, maybe not though. Like, like I, don't, I don't treat it any differently because it's Craig or because it's Enchain. If anything, I have a soft spot for those guys that I don't for other people that file patents. Like Bank of America, Wells Fargo, other places have Bitcoin, have blockchain patents that they filed. I look at those the same way. I'm like, that's utterly, nothing about that makes me excited that, oh my God, the future of crypto is in Bank of America because they just have, or Goldman Sachs, they have 15 new patents on block. I just, la- I'm like, that's stupid. If you think that's what's going to make you win in crypto, that's a bad strategy. And if they got aggressive and started going out and Bank of America came out and said, we're going to start suing Bitcoin.com and we're going to sue Blockstream and we're suing everybody because we patented all this stuff they're doing, I would be equally like say that that's dumb and I don't like that. And I hope that's not the future of the industry. It has nothing to do with who Craig is or who Enchain is. Well, I, I think I think the one the one thing I would think about the patents um, uh, would be that I consider Bitcoin to be the foundation of an economy of a new economy or, or the foundation of an economic order. And so, in that sense, you're not it's not like you're patenting a um, an iPhone, which is just an individual product. Right. You know, you're enforcing a patent on the base layer of the economy. Right. Which which affects all economic actors in the economy, not just. Uh, a small handful of people. That that would be one reason that it could be potentially more intimidating. Um, at the same time, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't personally consider it a, a reason to disassociate necessarily. Um, I think there's I mean, a lot of interesting things happening. If someone came out and said, "I have a patent on the internet and I'm going to enforce it," and anyone who builds anything on the internet, it's really, it's really mine, right? That's that's how I, it's just like right, and that's you're, unique. You're a little late and you're wrong, and it's right. stupid. Right. And that's that, somebody trying to do that at the internet at TCP IP level. That is a different kind of attempt to patent than, yeah, than something like an iPhone. All right. So, so luckily for this objection, Craig gave you guys something to go on two days ago by making some statement that no one really knows how to interpret. Including yeah. Me. Right. Like, like, Luckily, well, that's, for, that's, all, that's no, 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 not no. that statement. All of his claims are so bold and it's so unclear what he's talking about, what these patents are, that I think but, the but, ambiguity alone is enough to make you feel like he thinks that he's got some yeah, stranglehold. Well, no. the ambiguity is actually a bad signal too. If we're talking about signaling the business, I mean, it is. It, it, the fact that we have to have this discussion about what it means is a bad signal, I think, to potential businesses who want to join because it's like, well, well, what is, the, what, what is he actually patenting and how is it going to be enforced and when is he going to enforce it? And will we know or will we not know? Will he do it? Like, will he keep his promise? Will he not keep his, his promise? His lack of credibility is the best thing because it makes people not take those patents too seriously. So, so I've never been confused about the patents. I've always thought the answer was really easy and unambiguous for two reasons. Number one, and I can send you guys the clips if you want them. Calvin, Craig, and Jimmy have all stated publicly on video and explicitly that the patent does not apply to the open source protocol. Jimmy Wynn has even stated explicitly that this is the biggest misunderstanding about yeah. it. No, but only if you build on BSV, they say, that it no, does no, apply no. to other protocols. Calvin no. literally, wait, Calvin just said though, and again, hey, I'm going to CoinGeek. I'm, I'm excited. I think, you know, I, 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 I like I said, I, I really like a lot of stuff that's going on in BSV. And, um, I get a lot of shit and, and BCH all the time. And I'm always called a paid Calvin troll, you know, because, because of the stuff that I like. And I have no hard feelings against anyone in BSV. Calvin was commenting against Jack Dorsey the other day about how all the lawsuits are going to be coming Jack's way uh, and seemed to be implying because Jack was using the, the, the name Bitcoin improperly. Okay, so that's, that's a like, 
th- th- that's a separate issue though. Like, I don't know how fights and debates over the use of ticker symbols will work, but but e- even if there is some sort of lawsuit, which I, I don't particularly place a lot of faith in this, but let's just assume that there is some kind of legal battle where core gets stripped of the BTC ticker or whatever, that's still not the same as having a patent on the protocol that was released as open source. It's a trademark on the, you know. Or on anything that anyone may eventually develop on the protocol and saying, oh, well, we had it sitting in a dusty patent folder. So uh, you got to pay us money. So, So I agree that in general, they do say that it's not on the base protocol. I agree. But yeah, it, it, there it's are, been stated multiple yeah. times. Jimmy Wynn has pointed that out as a popular misconception. I agree. That is but, not but, what we're but, 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 but not, but, but recently though, it's. Oh, looks like we lost him. Well, I, I want to jump in then. Um, Blockstream so, uh, got who, to him. <laughs> <laughs> who, who defines what the base protocol is? Like, what does that mean? I, I could totally see a scenario in which Craig says, oh, well, the base protocol is these three specific items. And then all the other things, which everybody else considers the base protocol, he goes, oh, no, this is all, this is all proprietary. This is something that I'm going to have to be, you're going to have to get a licensing uh, agreement to use. Yeah, but, 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 for, but fortunately for us, patents are very specific things that you either have filed or that you haven't filed. And hear me out. They're not very specific things. Have you seen the kind of stuff that gets patented? Patents are absurdly broad and ridiculous. Let let me be specific about my use of the word specific. A patent is not identical to a phone. A patent is not identical to a human being. When someone says, I filed a patent, we can verify if that patent exists. It's specific in that way. A patent is different from a feeling that I have. I can claim to have a feeling. And there's no way we can verify that I really do have that feeling. It's always up for debate. A patent, the existence thereof, is never up for a debate. Either you filed one or you haven't. In that sense, it's it's ruthlessly specific. So when Craig appeals to his patents, we should treat him like any other human being. Okay, man, you say you filed a patent. Let's go look and see what you've actually filed, right? And then we, we can go look at what he's actually filed and we can see if the things that we object to or if the things that we're afraid of are actually among those list of patents. And what I'm saying is you can actually go look to see what patents have been filed, which ones have been approved, and exactly how many there are. And it is an objective fact that amongst none of those is the open source protocol. So I, I think it's unfair to the empirical reality. Now, what we can say is that, yeah, but I, because I don't trust him, I'm afraid that he might try to do some trick and I can't prove that he won't. I don't I've never looked, I've never looked at all those patents. Have you, I don't know what's in them. I, I've never read each individual patent, but I've gone to look to see. What I don't, Cause I don't take about. them seriously. But when someone starts saying the way that we're going to develop Bitcoin is by making sure nobody gets to do anything on it without checking with us first. Cause we own the patents. I don't like that strategy. But I think it's a bad argument though. When people like Jimmy Wynn, Calvin, and Craig have gone on record saying that the open source protocol has not been patented, I don't think it's a fair argument. Dan, I don't know what we're, I don't even care. I don't care. I'm not talking about whether it's the protocol or not. I don't know what that level is. But but, but that's been said. The point is the development of the entire ecosystem, if it's like we are going out and trying to round up as many legal monopolies on as many concepts and ideas as we possibly can related to anything blockchain, so that we make sure it only happens in our way or we get paid. 
I don't think that's a good or smart strategy. Okay, so so that's fair. I have a response to that. That's fair, but I don't want to just dismiss the open source thing because it has been brought up in this discussion. It has been referenced but, as but, a concern. I'm we not have, responding but, to nothing. But we, we have but, we have established the principle of the last few days that Craig has made these claims about even having ownership over the open source protocol. So if somebody were to say, hey, in principle, Craig is the kind of di- guy to do these really shitty things, that would have been a correct prediction to make as demonstrated just a few days ago. Yeah, yeah, but, but here's something that I think you and I will have an easy time agreeing on. Number one, Craig is a human. Number two, he said things in the past that have been demonstrably false. But he was a pumpkin man. Right, like, like he was wrong on the price <laughs> prediction, right? Some, some would say he's trolling, I don't know, but like he was wrong on the price prediction, right? Okay, um, so with that being said, and, and also that, that he said things that are kind of confusing, that none of us should, should feel the need to pretend like we understand, like we don't know exactly what he's saying with that. What I'm saying is that even if Craig, which I don't think he has, even if Craig came out today and said, hey, I have a patent on the open source protocol, all right? We can still go check and see if those words measure up, if, that, if that's true. But, but what I'm saying is, I don't think he has said that, and people on his team have renounced that very position. And, and Cameron, this, is, this is all just ridiculous debates about what specific things mean. If Jack Dorsey came out and said, no, I'm not claiming that I have a patent on the protocol the internet's built on, which my app Twitter is built on top of, but Twitter has a fortress of 1,400 patents on small form social media communications, blah, blah, blah. And I am going to shut down. Look out, Zuckerberg. I'm coming for you. Look out, TikTok. Look out. I'm shutting down all of you. We will get paid. Anyone that wants to build on my platform is fine. But Twitter, we have this. We're going to go. I would be like, that's stupid. I hope you lose. That's exactly the same. And, and I don't care about what though. level it's patented. What It's the approach. It's the strategy. It's the stacking up of patents. And it's the rhetoric about going out and using those patents as a bludgeon. That's like, that's bad for social media. Jack, that's bad for your own business, frankly. And, and that's and, bad and for the world. It's bad for, the, for a young industry as well, in particular. Like imagine that, that the early social media companies um, did that in the early days of social media. And they put all of these threats out when the industry was still young, you'd say, well, that's not a bullish sign at all. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm completely comfortable with looking at any business strategy and saying, I think this dude's business strategy is whack and that it's going to fail or that it has red flags or problems. I think that's totally cool as a business strategy. Um, we may disagree with that, but that, that's fine to me. Um, to be fair, that was my point though. When I retweeted Roger, that's pretty much exactly what I said. <laughs> Yeah, we're arguing against us saying it's not a this specific claim about what is and isn't being patented. It's like that's not an approach that's attractive to me, and I hope it loses. Okay, okay. Bitcoin isn't de- determined by courts and patent enforcement. So, so let me let me go to a second. I, I think mis, mis representation of the patent situation. Patent tr- patent trolling is specifically when you file a bunch of patents with no plans or intentions to actually execute on, on, on what those patents are filed for, but it's purely a strategy of sitting back, waiting for someone else to create something and being like, ha 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 suckers, I, I, I patented first, so now pay, pay me and I get to make money off your creativity because I was able to put it on paper first, right? 
That's what patent trolling is. And, and I think it's, I think it's a, an assumption to say, well, Craig is doing all those things while the, it's purely defensive and there is not a simultaneous offensive strategy to actually develop. I'm I, sure they're I, trying I, to develop stuff, but you can't have 1,400 patents or 2,000 or whatever they're saying. I think 6,000 like, yeah, is We're developed. developing all those things in the next two years before anyone else will be able to. And, and, so, and so, I, so I challenge... So here's what we know so far, though. Here's what we know so far. In my last call, I misrepresented BSV as having one new development a week. I was rightly corrected on that. Is it's actually closer to one a day. We do know that there is more more entrepreneurial innovation happening on BSV than any other chain. We do know that the that the current model for scaling is is so aggressive that there is at least an attempt or an anticipation to onboard. Yeah. So if N chain is just if N chain is just delivering products like that. Awesome. But, 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 but they're filing is, patents like that. That's not bullish. That's but but what I'm saying is we are seeing a bunch of entrepreneurial innovation and we don't know what more we're going to see over the next two years. For sure. And I hope there's a ton and I hope the patents have nothing to do with it. But I don't like the signal that they're spending that much time and energy well, filing uh, patents. That's so, so, so you cannot, you cannot, And they're not just doing it as a, as a, oh, this is just an aside. They're publicly praising it as the reason why this is the best blockchain. I think that's completely wrong. I think that's completely wrong, that part. Um, I, I do not think they are presenting that as this is the reason why it's the best. I, I do have a theory on why Craig does that, by the way. I do have a theory, and I think it's what very- it? Because I think it's personal for Craig. I think he's interested in way more than success. And I don't think any of you guys would disagree with me on this. I think Craig has an agenda that's much bigger than just winning and succeeding in the professional world. I think Craig is angry. I think he's pissed off. I think he feels betrayed and misunderstood. And I think some of what he does, I can't measure the percentage of it, but I think some of what he does is he wants to give the big middle finger to a lot of people who turn their backs on him or who didn't believe in him. And right now, no one is interested in innovating regarding the things that he's putting patents on. They're making fun of him. He has no competition. He doesn't even need these patents right now because all of his ideas are being mocked by everyone outside of BSV. I think what Craig wants is not just to win, but once people start to find out that he's winning and they want to piggyback on his success, I think he wants to say, you did it to me the first time and you got away with it, but now this time you're screwed. You don't have to agree with that, but I believe that's a big thing that affects him. And I'm not saying it's all good or defensible, but I think Craig's got some personal stuff going on. But what I'm saying about the patent stuff is I think, uh, so I, I think Craig throws that out there as, as some kind of threat. And I think that's a Craig thing. But when you talk to other people in BSV, well, there are a lot of people out there who will argue that patents are the reason. And I think that's silly. I think that's absolutely silly. But when you talk to a lot of the entrepreneurs that are innovating, they point to this thing that I'm talking about, which is like the astounding rate of on-chain application development and the scalability and the anticipation of a large amount of transaction volume. So I think okay. that innovation is going on. And I think it's partly defensive, but partly personal. So I really a, few, a few things. First of all, I love that I think we just had our first like genuinely heated moment between <laughs> you guys that's awesome yeah, we're always getting compliments about how nice we are to i know i know that was great so we just need to bottle that hey, up no i love you guys i just want you to know that. Yeah. <laughs> uh 
Uh, okay. TK is going to sue us all after this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So two. Uh, so I just want to ask you a, a quick question, TK. When you when you're trying to say, "Oh, look, the innovation is happening on BSV," was the implication that it's a demonstration that the patents aren't being abused or going to be abused because they're cultivating all this innovation on BSV? No, I'm saying it's a successful refutation or skeptical objection against the notion of patent trolling, which means the patents are only being filed defensively. Well, but it, so here's where I, I disagree. First of all, I don't think there's a, that strict a definition of what patent trolling is. I think even the threat of suing could qualify as patent trolling. So I, I don't know if there's a specific like legal exact definition of what patent trolling is, but I think in the common vernacular, what they're my, doing my, could be. I, I could be wrong, but my understanding, because in that debate where you had, um, either Jimmy or, or someone else who came afterwards even posted a definition that involved that. And again, I'm not going to be a legalist about definitions, yeah. but, but, but my understanding of patent trolling has always been, as Isaac described, where you don't really intend to innovate you're, you're making money by just filing a bunch of paperwork and you're going to sit back and let other people create and try to make money. Well, so, so here's, there, there could be a potential storyline here, which is that BSV is cultivating more innovation. Let's say that that narrative is true. I haven't researched BSV developments that precisely recently, but let's say that's true. And then at some point, the licensing kicks in. And this makes me think of companies like Evernote or other um, applications where you get a bunch of people using your product, they become dependent on your product and they love it. And then, oops, before you know it, you got that membership fee and now you got to pay five bucks a month and that's how they make money. So why couldn't that also be the story in BSV? Yeah, so that, that actually could be um, a thing that happens, right? So Craig is saying, you know, assuming these patents are enforceable, that you can use it for free on BSV or you can license it on other chains, right? So in the future, it's quite possible. Let's say, let's say, if the, let's say two scenarios. Scenario one is all these other blockchains exist. They're competing. They're evolving. They're trying to do everything that BSV is doing. They've stopped making fun of BSV, and they see this is the way they got to go. And they become legit competition, and the differentiator is the patents allowing people to build for free. Well, in that case, if you start charging or what have you, you, can, you risk losing to competition, right? So Craig, Craig would essentially be risking his own profit. Well, not if he holds the patents. I mean, if, if, he's, if he's successfully preventing other chains from using the technology unless they're licensed, then it seems like he wouldn't be losing any competition to start using it on his chain too. Not, not to start, but, but if he reaches the point where he says, all right, now we're going to charge you for that. The moment you do that, you are making comp you are incentivizing competition to step up a little bit and you are incentivizing your customers to move the competition yeah but, but i mean if I, you I if, see if, that as an intrinsically bad scenario I, I think that's that's the reality of business right like you risk losing business but but i but i don't see that as an intrinsically but but imagine your your patent portfolio is sufficiently broad where you're going to be able to stifle that competition for a long period of time. You can successfully get that subscription fee for the next, I don't know, 50 years. You could be the king of an industry 
That is a shell of what it could be if you weren't the king with all your patents. And that has happened many times through history and many interviews. You could stifle the innovation while winning as a company, which Craig has often said, like, I don't care because N-Chain's going to win no matter what. Now, right. I, I don't know that that's true, but yeah. I, I think that's, that's what I don't like. I don't like that for the industry, seeing some, some player whose goal is to control all the innovation and, and patent it all. But we got to wrap this up, guys. I got a wife and kids. Let's, let's jump and do just like the Twitch questions, maybe. Okay. All right. Well, we got to do those quick then. We got some questions. On <laughs> I feel Twitch. like we got to we got to answer them though because okay, I, we got to go rapid fire. All right. So um, I might be behind. Uh, I'll just get the ones that I saw before we uh, came on here. I, I asked on Twitch what we wanted to, what, oh. what anybody wanted to hear us talk about. Uh, somebody said I fully <laughs> I fully expect a segment where uh, you'll feature the most ridiculous. Um, ridiculous tweets about about bitcoin do a session like uh where we look at fights on twitter and twitch and and resolve the disputes like judge judy we'll have to do that next time <laughs> uh, i just got to give a special shout out to i don't know what the guy's name was who conflated patents and, and copyrights and was like oh steve you don't like patents what are you just gonna you, you gonna let me copy your book <laughs> put it out there online and i was like yeah that would be He's awesome like, i'm gonna list myself as the author and we were laughing i was like, like that's do actually, it. that's false advertising that's fraud it's fraud but <laughs> it's not for, even like a copyright man. and like me and my particular industry, I actually think that would be hysterical and great marketing. If somebody was so ridiculous as to try to pass off my work as their own, man, I could use that for the next decade on stage when I'm talking to people. Exactly. So a couple other twitches. One is, uh, and wants to talk about why providing a service that doesn't collect fees on every transaction sets you up for failure. That's not obvious to me that it does set you up for failure. There's plenty of business models that do not collect a fee on every transaction. There's plenty of freemium products that give it away for free to the bulk of users. And if you want to use an upgraded version, you can pay. And I, I'm not even convinced that uh, it's been proven that, I mean, I love the, the theory of the transactional model for most everything, but it's, it's very new. It's never been possible before. So now it's possible, but the idea that, like that question has now been decided that that's the only, like that that's the business model of the future. I'm not convinced. It's, it's, it's weird in Bitcoin too, because you have these investors that still have huge amounts of coins so they can make a crap ton of money just by appreciating the underlying asset. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, I, I am on the economic model that SV is pursuing of transaction fees, biggest blocks possible, all of that <laughs> stuff. I'm hugely bullish and that makes more sense to me than any of the alternative visions, certainly Bitcoin Core's idea economically. But I don't think that it is obvious that any business model that doesn't make money on every single transaction is a bad business model. Yeah, but it's pretty cool to see that uh, people are trying it. So hopefully, yeah, uh, hopefully something sure. will come of it. Mm -hmm. So we have these two from the same person. Um, governments are increasingly hostile to this shit. <laughs> I, oh, th okay. This is the second one. Let me read them in order. Uh, Bcash uh, is going, well, Bitcoin Cash supporters sure love it when they're called Bcash. Huh? Isn't that a trigger term? For yeah, it's trigger is a trigger <laughs> word. Bcash is going full yeah, Bcash on and Bisu. Coin mixer and illegal security SLP route. Illegal. Um, is this really the vision for Bitcoin you had pre-Segwit BS? Even BTC is not so brazen. Will this help or wreck adoption? Uh, second question is also scaling before adoption or scaling as demand grows. On that first question, yeah, the Bitcoin Cash vision is exactly the vision I had for Bitcoin. Hell yeah. I'm pretty sure it's the vision that everybody had. And there are a lot of people who are suddenly now pretending that that wasn't the case, but I didn't really see anybody a part of Bitcoin 
who didn't think that privacy was awesome and didn't want these things. Yeah. And there's this, there's this allergy to innovation that sometimes innovation can be a little bit legal gray areas. Like I want regulation to be improved because of these, these new cases on Bitcoin that are pushing, pushing the law a little bit further. That's a good thing. Technology so I, shouldn't I, wait for the regulators to move forward. It should force the regulators to react in response. Exactly. So speaking of like tokenization, you know, I mean, again, like we talked about this last episode a little bit, but I can see both sides. I mean, I created a test token on mint.bitcoin.com uh, just, I think yesterday or the day before, and I created it in like five seconds. It was so easy to create an SLP token and send it to my wallet. It was just the greatest experience. And I think that's a powerful tool for innovation. I, I, I think the opposite where I have to like upload, you know, forms to the SEC um, is, is pretty crippling. And I, I, you know, <clears throat> on the one hand, I'm very sympathetic to the idea that Bitcoin was not designed to facilitate crime. I also think that if you start with that approach, if you're out there talking about, you know, doing crime with Bitcoin, it's probably strategically bad from a marketing perspective. And I think Satoshi understood that too. Um, you will get passed up though, if your whole thing is legal compliance. Yeah, yeah. So here's well, a great so, analogy. Exactly. In, in funding for startups, the crowdfunding platforms emerged while they were legally ambiguous at best, probably illegal because you have to be credited investors, whatever. And they were kind of just coming up with all these different things, angelist, blah, blah, blah. And after like five or 10 years of like weird legal ambiguities, some of them were sort of shut down or enforced against. Some of them weren't. Governments didn't really know what to do. Governments made a clarification that said crowdfunding is okay under certain conditions. And so they kind of got half of what they wanted. But yeah. that was like 10 years after it had already been established. And government basically had to do that because AngelList and these other things were already a thing and they were growing. And so I think that's, that's how it often happens. And that's how it ought to happen. You don't want the slowest movers to be the ones that everybody's waiting on, which is the, the regulatory bodies. Well, when you look at it's funny. So I'm, I'm reading uh, Craig's book right now. I shared with you guys the uh, uh, art of Bitcoin or whatever. Um, and one of the things he says uh, about you know, his story about how Bitcoin was created was that Bitcoin was illegal when it was created. Um, and he actually explicitly says that in the book. And so that to me is, you know, I mean, how do you reconcile that now with the strict It's like, uh, it's like the people who, you know, like I illegal immigrants to turn around and say, we got to shut off, uh, we got to shut off the border. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Hey, hey, so, was he, he was a pastor, right? So that was before he got saved. When he was I just think that there's I I think that there's naivety in in kind of both sides. I think the, the pure like just like you know, where we don't give a shit about what the government says kind of approach is, is maybe a bit dangerous. Um, but I also think that as a V community, we're like all existing legislation is like rational and makes sense. Whereas like most existing financial regulations are, I mean, a lot, they're, they're crap. I mean, the SEC, the antitrust regulations are horrible. They're absolutely draconian. They're arbitrarily enforced. They're used right. to, uh, to uh, by, by uh, uh, competition to destroy 
destroy competitors. They, they're, they're, things are a real problem. And so, you know, it, I would be more sympathetic to the idea if they were like, we are going to, you know, embrace some version of regulatory compliance while still being able to work within these gray areas and also at the same time trying to push legislation in a direction that exactly. is more free. Yeah, but the solution you is, you know, right now when it's like, the solution isn't let's double down on uh, illegal uses or let's double down on making it legal. It's let's double down on getting as many legitimate business uses on exactly. it as fast as possible. That by the time governments wake up, they can't squash it because it has too much momentum and they have to kind of adapt. And if you, if you want crypto to be incredibly boring and uh, not nearly as functional as it otherwise could be, then have it conform to existing financial regulations. I mean, you're killing a huge part of the whole point of the damn technology. And I remember, so uh, my wife, Julia, was working with BitPay in the very, she was one of the early employees there. And I remember talking with a lot of the people at the company about already at that point, how many legal uh, hoops they had to jump through. I mean, the Bitcoin technology as we have it right now in 2020 is a fraction of what it could, it could have been if there weren't such onerous regulations. I mean, an absolute fraction uh, of, of what it could have been. So the idea that we need more legal compliance is like, in my opinion, the opposite of the truth kind of from an innovation standpoint. You guys think it's possible that SV's aggressive approach to scaling could be based on a desire to make sure that whatever legal compliance means, it becomes something that is, uh, is, is least vulnerable to arbitrary enforcement? I hope so. Yeah, I mean, it could be. I, I do agree that the idea. I, I do agree that if you want to stop uh, arbitrary encroachment onto the protocol, scaling is one of the best ways to do it. I mean, you have more. The more honest economic actors you have in Bitcoin, I think, the more secure it is, even if they're not necessarily miners, because I think you have economic and social sort of security um, backing up and, and political security. You know, if, if you scale very large globally, I think people will be less likely to tolerate. Um, things than they would if it's like a niche community. So yeah, I mean, scaling is tremendously important from a security perspective, I think. Uh, All right, let's take this last question. Do you, um, do you scale ahead of time? Uh, scaling before adoption or scaling as demand grows? I'll just throw quickly, I think the ideal scenario in my mind, if you can pull it off, is you signal massive scale before you have the demand, but you actually like, all you need to do is that you ensure that the scale is always big enough for the demand you have, as long as you are signaling that you will never allow it to get crunched. Now, maybe the only way to signal that is to actually have the unlimited scale right away, which I tend to think is the case. And I tend to be very strongly in favor of the BSV. I don't think anything bad ever would have happened, to quote Gavin Andreessen, yeah. if, the block, if the block limit had just been removed like way long ago. Like It didn't take long for Bitcoin to grow out of the, the little threat that was posed by you know, having a large blocks. And I think that, I think unlimited scale is, is freaking awesome. And I think that's probably the only way to signal it, but. Well, that's the most appealing thing about, I think BSV right now. And, and I think uh, a lot of BCH people, they sometimes seem to get distracted by some of the other things that they seem, uh, they see as concerning and, and that stuff is, can be concerning, but the reality is like, 
I, I think I think if you don't scale, like you can't win anyway. So scaling is sort of like a precondition for everything. So I would rather see Bitcoin Cash. You know, if we're going to have a serious debate, Bitcoin Cash should should scale as well, and then we can have a serious competition between two different models of of adoption. The the sort of more compliance patents stuff like that versus the the opposite, um, and that would be interesting. But you know, so long as you have a culture that is trying to define what transactions are okay and what are not okay. Like, I, I guess I don't really see that much competition. I think it's going to change though. So, Steve, the question was, do you scale in anticipation of demand or do you scale only after you have the demand? I mean, obviously the former. I mean, you have, you have to scale in anticipation of demand. That's a no brainer. And, and am I misunderstanding something when I say that it's not significantly more costly to scale in anticipation of the demand? What? What, 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 I haven't heard any fear about scaling and anticipation other than the belief it's going to cost technical. So, so the idea is that um, while Bitcoin is small, um, there is a benefit to having low node costs. So if there's some entrepreneurs that have a business model they want to try out, they're going to have much lower startup costs if the um, cost of running an implementation, uh, a node implementation are low. That's the idea. While it's young, you got to incubate kind of the, the cheap use cases for entrepreneurs. But like we've talked about, the issue with that is, is, is the seen and unseen kind of idea. You, what you see is the nodes you're protecting by keeping the size small. What you don't see is the potential larger nodes that could join the network. Yeah. And it also doesn't necessarily do the small nodes a service to protect them if they're going to end up going bankrupt anyway when their costs increase. Gentlemen, please. No, 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 I know you want to end it. I got one question. I, <laughs> I, I, I got to get every one of your thoughts on this. I'm sorry. I have to get it. I've, I've been seeing Gavin tweet a lot about Ethereum, playing around with things on Ethereum, saying he thinks the coolest projects in the future are going to come from Ethereum. Given the fact that he was a huge big blocker, <laughs> that he's got every reason to spite BTC. And he even said at one point, at least, that he thought Craig was Satoshi. Why is he not on DCH or BSV actively involved in the discussions championing big blocks? Has he given hope, given up hope on Bitcoin? What's your theory on that? Well, I think some of the early guys, like I don't, I, don't, I, could, I could take the Mike Hearn approach, which is Mike Hearn sort of answered this, that the problems within the communities of Bitcoin are inevitable, I think. And that's basically what he said in his AMA. Um, so when he was talking in his AMA in Bitcoin Cash about, uh, right before, it was about six months before the fork maybe, he said, I see the exact same problems about to emerge in Bitcoin Cash that emerged in Bitcoin Core. And a lot of people didn't take him seriously. And I remember kind of pointing it out like, yeah, oh crap, he's right. And then all of a sudden we had this fork and we had the ongoing problems with Bitcoin Cash in 2019. And I remember in September when I posted about Hey guys, there's some problems here. And I was telling everybody, look what Mike Hearn said. And I was like, oh no, don't listen to him. He hasn't been around. I was like, no, like he's right. Like, and, and so that's, I think, I think you could, you could maybe say that that's Gavin's problem too, is that he sees, he, he maybe thinks maybe incorrectly or correctly that the same problems that happen will continue to happen over and over and over again. Um, so, yeah. And he had, I mean, one of the biggest issues he ran into was cultural problems, uh, especially, well, yeah, especially in the Bitcoin core. And I think that Ethereum has a better culture for developers. 
I'm not sure that it's a better culture for entrepreneurs and for builders, but for people who are more technically minded, I think it's just straight up a better culture. So he probably gets more excited about that than he does any of the Bitcoin forks. Gavin's yeah, always struck me as kind of like a, like a really nice guy. And I don't know if that's true, but he has that persona. And that's a very hard persona to survive in any of the current Bitcoin communities. Yeah. And, and we don't know his private thoughts too. I mean, we still don't know what he thinks about Craig Wright. He's like, well, I might've been mistaken. Okay. That's not very clear. But he hasn't deleted his blog post or anything like that. So Exactly. And I imagine he has no ill feelings towards like BCH, whatever he might feel towards Craig. I imagine he's probably pro BCH. But what, what is there to gain by involving yourself in a bunch of drama and politics when you I mean, don't have to? He did at one point when BCH was was sort of first getting started that BCH is the version of Bitcoin yeah. he started working on. That was you know obviously way pre-split with, with SV, but um, he may just be burned out. I mean, you know, this, this, this crypto world is very hostile. I mean, it's very hard to be public in crypto. Every day I have some Bitcoin cash asshole tell me that I'm like a paid Craig Wright. Several people um, try to try to hurt me in, in some pretty serious ways. And then on the converse side, if I ever say anything about Bitcoin cash, I have SV people coming at me saying, you're an idiot or you don't know what you're doing. Don't you realize you're describing SV? You know, some, and it's like, God, like it gets exhausting because yeah. I haven't changed what I'm saying at all. I've been if writing this, about the same if this wasn't just a If this wasn't just a hobby for me, I would probably have been burned out by now. Yeah. <laughs> Can't blame me. Well, well, Derek's problem is he's an opportunist. He's trying <laughs> yeah. to <hard. laughs> exactly. be successful. I yeah, just want to make money. Trying to, trying to have terrible. global money for the world. Hey, guys, <laughs> this is awesome. And I'll reiterate what I opened with. I mean, I am incredibly, it's easy to get pessimistic, especially when you think about the Mike Hearn stuff and like where this is all gone. But I'm incredibly excited. I, I think Genesis is awesome, what I know about it. I think the humongous blocks on SV are awesome. I love all the energy I see. There's a lot of cool developments I see on SV. I've been writing on read.cash on the BCH side. I actually think the debate and the discussion about developer funding overall is a good thing for BCH, and there's some cool stuff happening there. I like that we have this field experiment of two different visions, three if you're going to count BTC, and we get to kind of be a part of it as it unfolds. So no hostility towards anyone here. TK, not even you, buddy. <laughs> this has been awesome, guys. Can't believe we spent three hours. Until next time. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks.